Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Kate McFarland of uh, Channel 2 in Tulsa. Two News works for you. We'll uh, talk to Caden about uh, what's going on at the Big 12 Conference of this possible expansion with Colorado and also check in on the Sooners and Cowboys, a little Oklahoma City Thunder talk when Caden joins us coming up in a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group as well as our uh, top foolery story of the week coming up at the end of the show. This week, uh, our friend Jose Soto is uh, back with me uh, holding things down uh, here uh, on deck and uh, we're pleased to uh, welcome him in right now as uh, Jose was actually uh, with me this weekend, we uh, we and uh, a group of us got together for a little brunch uh, for my birthday and uh, continuing the uh, festivities through the weekend. I'm off to D.C. to see some folks, and and uh, it will all end. Uh, my, my actual birthday will be Monday uh, on Memorial Day. But, uh, Jose, what, what a way. We've officially started the, uh, the Summer of Jones here. Uh, glad to have you here, man. Hey, always a pleasure to be here with you, Jones. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for the invite on the brunch. It was delicious. Uh, fortunately for your parents, they didn't get the order they got even after the second half <laughs> round. <laughs> yeah, but uh, always a good start with uh, Summer of Jones and, you know, being here with friends and family. For your oh, birthday. yeah, no doubt. And, and I got to give Jose credit, like, you know, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, mo- most people – can figure this out. It's it's landlocked. You're not going to beat around any any beaches. But but I got to tell you that the summer of Jones vibes were immaculate when uh, when you <laughs> took me to this sand beach volleyball court uh, that had you know some turf on the side. Everybody's got their high noons in hand and enjoyed that warm sand playing some volleyball here. I mean like. I, I, I felt like I was on the Atlantic coast or something there, uh, Jose. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. So, I, I mean, I don't know if this how true this is, but that sand, from what I know, is uh, from Mexico. So oh. they brought it in from Mexico. So it is actually as if you're on the <laughs> in a beach. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That was great. We, we had a great time. And now uh, – now I'm off to uh, D.C. this weekend. Uh, Mr. Jones goes to Washington. I'll begin my uh, presidential campaign for the White House of 2024. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what's on deck. Uh, I, I might have to take away uh, Dave Bordenoy's title. You might have to start calling me El Presidente when it's all said and done <laughs> um, there. But uh, as I, I turn 27 here, Jose, you were that age at one point in time. What do I need to know? What, what advice would you give somebody like me uh, going – going ahead getting so much older here you know turning i i feel like an old man now 27 like we're i feel like i was 21 yesterday what the hell happened oh man um 27 oh man i i would say take an international trip for sure okay. and you know i i was fortunate to do one um and i went overseas to italy and um, you know, it's Italy was a lot of fun. There's a lot of things to do out there. And I, while I was out there overseas, I went ahead and traveled through Egypt and went and hit up England as well by myself. Uh, but just, just do some traveling, do some traveling by yourself. You know, as we get older, you know, it becomes harder and harder to kind of, you know, leave the U S and, you know, with having other responsibilities, but if you can get out there and enjoy some some uh, overseas wins while you're at it. 
Okay. I, I like that idea. Uh, the, uh, an international summer Jones trip uh, of some sorts uh, <laughs> on deck. I, I, I love that idea. Need to need to make that happen uh, sometime soon. I, I will say we've come a long way though. Of uh, I think I, I've shared this story uh, before, but it was, it was Jose here that after college got me to stop drinking fireball and Dr. Pepper. And, you know, when we get to, you know, the summer of Jones, it's all about the ranch waters, the high noons, um, just in, in my, in my drinking habits alone, that, that might be where my, my new age is showing of sorts. So no, no more, no more fireball, fireball free summer. <laughs> well, I mean, a high noon also is less than sugar, man. You got to watch, start watching the sugars and all that as you get no older. Liquor, good for the hangover. <laughs> exactly. Calories, low cal. I mean, you can't you can't be going with them them high fructose drinks anymore. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great, Jose. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, thanks everybody for the uh, the wishes and, and festivities. Uh, Going to be a lot of fun in uh, in DC here this weekend. You been to DC, Jose? I haven't actually. It's on my list to do. Uh, I hear there's a lot of historical things to check out. You know, up there, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it should be a great time. Uh, so looking forward to that and uh, coming up this weekend. What uh, What's on deck for you? What do you got planned for Memorial Day here, Jose? Well, um, let's see here. Probably just have a cookout maybe or hang out with the family, uh, the girlfriend, you know, uh, just go watch The Little Mermaid <laughs> in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's this Friday. Um get some rest clean up around the house uh possibly look into some houses as well in the yeah. market for so just you know kind of some chill nothing like dc though like is there a, is there a new little mermaid I, I wasn't aware of this yeah there's a new little mermaid coming out this weekend uh you know <laughs> was this like I, a, is this the girlfriend or is this like a niece or nephew that that got you into this no no i'm actually gonna go watch it with my girlfriend Demise, okay so um her and i've started kind of watching movies in theaters and and you know it's it's in 3d so it'll be interesting to see how well the 3d is played out we really enjoyed watching the avatar 2 and 3d that was that was pretty good so i don't know if he'll top that but it should be interesting now uh i'll bring this up i'm i'm, I'm not trying to sound uh creepy or weird at all but i'll, I'll just say this up front jose i saw something that Margot Robbie is going to be playing Barbie in, in a film this summer. And, and I got to say, you know, I, I've always liked Margot Robbie, but I, I've always pictured Barbie as kind of like, you know, innocent. It's a doll, whatever. I don't know how innocent Margot Robbie is. <laughs> it, it looks good, though. It got, it's got Ryan Gosling in it as well. I mean, he's, he's one of my favorite <laughs> actors, and it, it looks interesting. I saw a little teaser clip of the trailer, and it looked hilarious. Yeah. Uh Margo, if you're listening, sup. Uh <laughs> Summer Jones. Anytime. Uh Wolf of Wall Street it up. You know, that's what I think of Margo Robbie, you know. And, uh who would but, you have chosen to play Barbie, Mr. Innocent over here? Innocent? Like oh man. Well it's gotta be a blonde, I guess, at that point. Um and let's see. That's Gosh, that's a good question. Uh, 
Definitely, definitely not like uh, Miley Cyrus. You know that that's not uh, <laughs> not the innocent category. Um, gosh, I, I know she's not a blonde, but I I think it like uh, like Anna Kendrick's kind of you know kind of innocent. You know, uh, not, not Paris Hilton. <laughs> Paris Hilton, <laughs> Kim Kardashian. Yeah, there's no videos on the internet for Kim Kardashian. Don't uh, oh. don't Google that. You know. Um, <laughs> Maybe uh maybe Carrie Underwood would have been a good Barbie or something. Carrie uh, Underwood was this a, a sing along movie like a <laughs> sing along Barbie, <laughs> a musical. Maybe Barbie so. The musical or the musical. Uh yeah, that sounds riveting. Uh, before we say something we regret, let's uh let's move on. Jose, uh, the NBA Finals. Uh, we know that the Denver Nuggets are going to be there. Now we await to see who their opponent will be. If you're uh, listening to us uh, here on Thursday, you might already know the outcome of uh, this uh, Game 5 affair. And so you may be sitting there saying to yourselves, we already know it's going to be the Nuggets in the heat, or maybe this gets pushed to Game 6. But at least what we know right now, Nuggets in, Heat or Celtics, Heat still have everything going their way, even though they're they're up three one now. Take a, a miracle, miraculous comeback that we've never seen before for the Celtics at the finals. Not saying it's impossible, but still a long road ahead to get there. With that said, you look at the East. Let's start there, and then we'll go to uh, the Nuggets here in just a second. Um, Jose, I, I don't think either one of these teams can beat Denver to begin with, and. Denver's going to get this extra rest um, with, uh, you know, the Heat Celtics winner kind of just waiting around and, uh, you know, playing their games, of course, and then go to the NBA Finals after that here. Everything is is setting up nicely here for Denver, and they're going to have home court either way as well. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the roster for the Heat, and, you know, it just – you know, it sticks out. A lot of them are undrafted. You know, who knows where they played beforehand? Like, you know, third, you know, like not not D1 colleges. I think there was a – I can't remember which player there was. I think he would play in D, like, second division possibly. And I, I just don't think they have the star power and the manpower that's the talent of what Denver has. I think – I mean, Boston, you would think, would have, would have knocked Miami out within five games, you know, coming into the series, you would have thought, oh, Boston and five or, or six. And they might have the star power and, and the, the players to actually compete with Denver. But but then Miami just is over here just killing them. You know, they just like it just doesn't make sense. But Miami's a good field story. I hear rumors, Tyler Hero possibly coming back for the finals. You think that's going to be enough? Well, Here's the thing with with where that team is at in their rotation. Um, where does Tyler Hero fit in with the chemistry and everything that got they got going right now? Where do you put Tyler Hero in in that lineup now? That's what I don't know. What you do with Tyler Hero with everything that's going so good for Miami? Yeah, I mean, Gabe Gabe Vincent is is uh, you know he's killing it. You know, the, given the opportunities given, and I think he would take the minutes if I had to decide. Kyle Lowry's Kyle Lowry's been kind of off these last few games or so. And I think Tyler hero switching those two out, but I think, you know, you, you ruin that chemistry that you have with Vincent and and the team on the floor. So, 
you know, I think it would throw it off. Yeah, I, I think you might be on something there. Um, you know, as far as that goes. And the 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 main thing is that when you look at this Miami team of what Jimmy Butler has done throughout this postseason, I would argue other than Jokic, uh, he's been the been the best player in the postseason, second best player in the postseason. The the main thing when I look at Tyler Hero or whatever you may be to that lineup is whatever you do, you can't take away from Jimmy Butler. You can't slow him down. Like that's that's got to be your number one objective of how you figure to fit in Tyler Hero one way or the other is that you can't have that take away from Jimmy Butler at all. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, you know, Jimmy Butler's got that dog. Yes. That dog in him, you He's know. got it and in so, him now, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think Tyler Hero, you know, I think he would provide – you know, some shooting space around the perimeter, though, to be able to kind of let, you know, Jimmy do his thing on the on the inside, you know, maybe some some uh, mid range shooters. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. I personally think, you know, take it when they play tomorrow. I think Boston survives tomorrow. I mean, you're in Boston. You, you're in front of the home crowd. I think the Heat did their best to try to slam the door shut this past time around yesterday. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, they were let down. I think they put a lot of energy and effort into closing, you know, closing it out in four that I think right now the momentum's with Boston going into Boston tomorrow. So I'm, I'm thinking heat in six, you know, back in Miami, closing it out. But what do you think? Well, and, and what I find fascinating about that is Jose game three. I think you heard Charles Barkley and others say, that they felt like the Celtics had given up, that there was a uh, lack of effort, uh, that they didn't want to be there, that they kind of had given up on that series. And then we heard reports that Dave Portnoy, of all people, we were talking about him earlier, helped organize some team gathering and team dinner that just rejuvenated life into that team, and they came out firing and had a really good win in game four and got back on the same page again. You go back to Boston, every game is a must-win game at this point, obviously at this point in time. Um, I feel like we will know one way or the other how this game is going to play out within the first five minutes. I think that's what we're looking at for this uh, th this matchup here in, in game number five. If, if Boston comes out and – if they got their head on a swivel, if everything's there right away, then there's no reason why they shouldn't win at home. If they come out sluggish, get off to a slow start, uh, I think Miami wins this game. I, I think this is one of those you'll find out pretty quickly who, who's going to be winning this game. Yeah, I think so too. We'll see what happens, you know, once we get there. And um, But I, I'd like to see it go to six. I mean, I think it's been a fun game. I mean, it's been kind of fun watching them kind of – Besides game three, obviously, being that. Right. right. <laughs> it was uh, a killer, you know, but I think it's been a fun series, you know, just kind of watching the matchups, um, seeing who wants it more. You definitely see Miami wanting it more than Boston. Um, you know, I think Jason Tatum finally had his first field goal in the fourth quarter last game. Right. So that's that's interesting you know how how the hell do you are you an all-star and your team's best player and this is your first field goal in four games you know it took you but 
We'll see. What's uh what do you what are your takes? Do you think uh game five he'd get it done or six or seven or what? Man, uh I- I'm I'm thinking that uh Jose, we see the Celtics come away with game five, that they win at home, must win game, they gotta lay everything out on the line, can't hold anything back. But then game six, that's when I'll take Miami to to win and close out this series because you know they they already it should already have woken them up a bit of losing the closeout game when they were supposed to get the sweep, but then going you know back to Boston, Boston's got momentum and all this. Like if you get to a game seven in Boston and you've lost three in a row, you're going to lose that one. I mean, if you're Miami, I, I think that the the game that game six is that's the night you have to, it has to be your night. I can understand the Celtics winning a do or die game when it was at the very end or winning the next game at home, but game six, that's the, that's the night that I have circled that the, he'd get this done. So you think there's a chance that Boston, it becomes the first team to come back down. Oh, three. There's a chance. It, it could happen, but it's still a a slim chance. I'll put it that way. Um, you know, it, it, there there would have to be a lot of things go right for Boston. They are um, they're the more talented team here, Jose, but they're not the better coach team here. Eric Spalstra, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm a huge fan of. I think he's a future Hall of Fame coach. I think he's arguably the best coach in the NBA. You know, he's right up there with with Pop and some of the others here. And, and to me, that's the advantage in this series. You, we, we look at, you mentioned with the heat of their talent on this roster, the second round players, the undrafted players that they have here, all developed because of Eric Spolstra. I'm not betting against Eric Spolstra blowing a, a 3-0 series later. I think coaching still matters in the NBA and he finds a way to get it done. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the Denver Nuggets now. Um, Joker proved a lot of people wrong, including myself. Um, you know, the, the 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 knock on Joker that people like me have said is that this is a guy that is extremely talented, uh, two time MVP and everything, but he has not performed in the postseason. That his numbers have been elevated by bad competition in the regular season that he's folded in playoff time. That's been his story the last couple of seasons. And then you fast forward to 2023 and what he's done this year. And I look at Joker Jose and and I see a guy that finally came out of his shell that um, put it together when it mattered most that had those clutch moments that outplayed LeBron outplayed Anthony Davis. And part of it, while he did step up on his own, getting Jamal Murray back and playing at a high level that way, those two are as good of a combo as any in the NBA at this point. I think that was a huge part of why we've seen him play uh, to this level. I've been very impressed with uh, Jamal Murray as well. But but Joker just – he does it all. You know, he's got the wingspan. He's a, a hell of a passer, great rebounder, great scorer. No, no, no one can stop this guy right now. Joker is is putting it together when it matters most, which is the first time in his career. Nobody can stop Joker right now, and I, I don't think anybody on 
uh, Miami or Boston's going to be able to do it either. No, no, I don't think anyone's going to stop to that guy, man. He, you know, I think there was numerous times where, where AD was just kind of the camera caught AD just looking at like jokage, just like, you just make that like, really? Come on. Like he, he put a good defense and he would just make these shots. Like there was a, I think there was a three pointer on that closing game where he had like double team and he just kind of threw it up there and hit the three. <laughs> and you, you hear Mike bring on bang, you know, <laughs> I think everyone was just kind of like, what? <laughs> but you know, I, I think I think this is a Denver team. This is what we wanted to see from Denver. I think this is the first time that we've seen the Nuggets healthy, going through yes. a whole you know season and postseason, and and this is kind of what we expected Denver to always be. You know, it's kind of all coming together. Um, you know, Jamal Murray he he tore his ACL uh, you know two years ago, and right. or you know, and and I think you know for a guy that for me you know coming off of, you know I've I've had multiple ACL tears myself and surgeries. Right. Yeah, I've had three, believe it or not. Um, you know, it it takes a year to really kind of get back together as far as like strength wise and getting back to the root of things. Like, you know, one you know, there's one thing is you work back to being able to be active, but right. it takes you almost two years to really be back back. So you get a year to kind of start getting back to normal, but two years out is when you actually start getting that strength back to do the things that you used to do before the injury. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with Jamal, you know, Jamal Murray's gotten that confidence back in, in the way he, he plays. He's not playing with, you know, scares, you know, of tearing it again and going through that, you know, injury and the the recovery process. Cause it's, Man, I, I tell you what, man, it's it's not a it's not an injury, it's not a surgery, it's not a recovery that I would wish upon my worst enemy. Like it's it's a lot of pain you go through. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And you know, for for Denver, for Mike Malone, this was a guy that was heavily criticized of uh, of not putting the team together to get the job done, and finally, just everything came together for this Denver team and. You know, obviously they still have an NBA Finals to play, but it, it, it feels like this is this is theirs. That you know, barring something catastrophic, Denver's going to be holding up the Larry O'Brien Trophy when it's all said and done. And, and the, the the way that this team has been organically built, we talked about it with Miami, but Joker was was picked in the second round during a Taco Bell commercial. You know, I mean. <laughs> You, you got guys like you know, we mentioned Jamal Murray. Uh, you know, Michael Porter Jr. fell in their lap. Uh, you know, when he was originally slated to be the number one overall pick, but he dealt with an injury there at the end of his career at Mizzou, uh, among others there. I mean, this Denver team, what they've done to get to this point, I mean, they've they've put in the work. Uh, this is this is nothing fluky here from from Denver and the core foundation they've built. Yeah, you know, it's and then you you have Aaron Gordon, you know, he was doing his thing in Orlando, you know, he was at one point their main star there. So they got a lot of good pieces. They're, they're really deep, you know, in, in the depths, uh, you know, it's, you know, the coach Malone, you know, he, he kind of put his career, you know, at least his, you know, coaching career of being the Nuggets career wise on the line, because he, I feel like if it didn't work out with Murray and they didn't get rid of him, trade him. And, and he, he told him he wasn't going to trade him. Like, Murray came up to him like after the injury, like, you know, 
please don't trade me. And, and, you know, Malone told him like, no, you're, you're, you're part of the team. You're staying on And You know, I, I bet you if it didn't, if it didn't work out, you know, Malone probably be out of a job, but you know, he had faith in the team. He had faith in his pieces he's putting together and, you know, hard work pays off and here they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable for sure. Um, the way that they just own the Lakers too, that was, that was the most competitive sweep I've ever seen. I mean, that was great basketball. And and what we saw in in bunches from Joker, too, I mean, Jose, you, you'd be looking at it. It was amazing just looking at the the box score. You'd see, okay, here's a 10-minute a stretch where Joker has a triple-double in a 10-minute stretch. Uh, or the way that he was finishing games or starting games here. I mean, just the – the, the 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 spaces in between games. I mean, when when he was feeling himself, he was feeling himself, and it was it was pretty remarkable there. And so, with that, you know, with him sweeping the Lakers like they did, and the Lakers getting to the conference finals, which uh, I think is a, an accomplishment in their own right, considering where they are at halfway through the season. They won't tell you that, but nonetheless, for them to get there was was something else. But now you hear this retirement speculation from LeBron. I know they're upset that uh, they got swept, but, I mean, they just got beat by a much better team, uh, if we're going to be honest here. LeBron talking this retirement stuff. Jose, um, I'm not buying it at all. LeBron loves attention. We know that. Um, he's talked about playing with his son. Even if he were to retire, I don't think he would just hang it up right now and be done with. I think that he is – Serious about wanting to play with his son, uh, Bronny. That I, I, if I were to guess, we're going to see LeBron play one more year in Los Angeles. Bronny probably comes out next year, and LeBron signs wherever Bronny goes. Like I would be, I would be shell shocked. I, I would bet uh, my life savings on LeBron <laughs> not retiring. There's just no chance. This is LeBron. Trying to get the attention, you know, like 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 he does, like when he had that uh, the uh, the fake spray paint that uh, that went on his uh, his mansion in L.A. You know, when he made all that up here, I'm not buying that one bit. I'm not buying it either. I'm, I'm with you on that. I think, I mean, the thing is, is you know, the team got off to a really bad start to start the season, so it took the team time for upper management to, you know, get the roster fixed and in doing so it put a burden on them to have to play their, you know, butts off longer to just make the postseason. So I think what LeBron's doing is, is trying to leverage and, you know, kind of put a big pressure on the front office to, Hey, like, I want this, I want you guys to keep certain players, you know, um, or go shop for players because I want to be a contender. You know, I don't think he, I don't think he wants them to, you know, kind of let you know, you know, their best players walk out. They just traded for like Rui or you know things like that. Like they, they have a good roster. I think they just need to make some moves and and get a couple more pieces and not have to play, you know, a playoff basketball from March through the, you know, postseason. And I think that will help save some minutes for AD, not having to, you know, play, you know, constantly and more minutes, you know, same with LeBron. They can rest more and they can be kind of more, they can be fresh for the postseason instead of having to play every single night because they need to win. 
Yes, I agree. Uh, LeBron, uh, if he leaves the the Lakers, if he retires, then th- this this team is uh, going to be in so much trouble uh, next year because this is not what they're anticipating. I would say this: there there might be one element. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll say this point, then we can move on, Jose. A leverage play from LeBron because we've heard the rumblings about the Lakers potentially trading LeBron and trying to get something out of him while they can, because he likely won't be back after next year. Um, just just the odds of Brawny landing to the Lakers and all that. Um, to me, this could be a leverage play of, you know, hey, if you're going to trade me, I'm going to retire and I'm going to do my own thing and you're not going to let me force me to play where I don't want to be. I think this this is what that could potentially be all about. Put this out there. That way you end any possibility of any trade rumors out there. I think there's rumors that I think, you know, kind of rumors because he's mentioned before that he would love to play with Curry before, you know, it's all said and done, that he's the one player he would really love to play with. Um, So, I mean, I don't know if – the Warriors trade some of their young pieces for an aging LeBron. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly where within the draft Bronny would fall as well. I mean, I don't think he's a top five pick. I think, um, you know, I think you're drafting him maybe possibly in the lottery unless he, you know, goes to college and does his thing. And, you know, but from my understanding, he's, you know, maybe off the bench type of guy, six man, you know, kind of guy. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see where he falls next year or two years and, yeah. you know, whether LeBron comes with as well. Right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Kate McFarland, good to join us coming up in uh, just a few moments. Before we do, let's go ahead and get to our uh, Big 12 breakdown for this week. And uh, a few things to hit on on the uh, Big 12 breakdown this week, kind of all uh, – expansion base let's start with colorado a, a new report this week from uh, barry travel of the oklahoma at oklahoma city barry is saying that uh his big 12 sources are telling them that colorado is just about ready to accept an invitation formally to join the big 12 conference that everything is all good to go that they're just waiting on some last minute details but that colorado uh is on their way to the big 12 uh, Jose, I'll believe it when I see it, but all of that sounds good. All that sounds fine and dandy. Uh, I'm, I'm very, if this is true and we've speculated about this for over a year now, this possibility, if this is really happening by all means, uh, welcome and Colorado will not be the last, there will be more coming, uh, build it and they will come, uh, Colorado is just kind of the first domino fall. Then it's like, what other Pac-12 schools are you going to get? Are we talking about ACC schools next? Are we talking about Big E schools potentially? Um, if Colorado's going to happen, welcome. Glad to have them here. Glad to have you with us. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, there's still more to come after that. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be really good for them to come back to the Big 12. I think it would bring some of that heritage matchups we used to see back in the day. You know, that they, they were in the Big 12. And I think, you know, Sanders being the head coach, I think it'd be – he's going to be very marketable. I mean, I think, I think TV, you know, ratings are going to be up wanting to tune in to what he's got, you know, product wise. I think he's building a pretty good team 
you know, even in year one of just being the head coach over there in Colorado. So if they come to the Big 12, I think it would be a domino effect. You know, it's just I think other teams will, will either join the Big 12 or look to elsewhere, whether it be ACC, um, you know, Big 10 or, or even SEC. But I think SEC seems to be pretty packed, you know, now that Texas and OU moving over there. Right. So. Right. I think you would have to look at more of Big 12, Big 10, and ACC. Right, yeah. Um, and with Colorado here, you, you mentioned uh, the the tradition. They have history in this league. You know, they were here for a long time before they ultimately left for the Pac-12. And, you know, it, it, it makes sense for a lot of reasons. But at, at the end of the day, uh, Jose – the almighty dollar speaks louder than anything else. And, you know, the, the two things are at the core of, of these conference discussions of Colorado and some of these Pac-12 schools not being happy is they want their games to be on television, on cable, and not all on streaming. And then they also want to get paid a decent amount of money. And you look at the Big 12 contract and over 80% of their games – are going to be on uh, an ESPN or Fox uh, network, and then the other 20% end up on ESPN+. Plus. Pac-12 deal could be as high as 90% of games on streaming. And then just dollars and cents-wise, Big 12 teams are going to get about $32 million per year. Pac-12 teams might get 23 or $24 million. I mean, you, you don't have to be an expert on this stuff to just think, I mean, just simple math here. Okay. We can make more money in the Big 12, and we can have our games on TV as opposed to streaming. Hmm. That's not hard to figure out here. I mean, it's uh, it's very simple. It's In all the years of all this expansion and teams shifting here and there, and, you know, there, there's still people to this day, Jose, that wonder, why did, why did Mizzou leave for the SEC? This would be the easiest one to figure out. It's all right there. <laughs> why Colorado would be leaving it's a no-brainer yeah I mean you we have I mean Big 12 has a contract now and and I would I would think that if they expand I would think that there would be a loophole as to renegotiate that contract as well so Um, to actually add to your point there is a uh, clause that allows the contract to be renegotiated and there is a bump automatically built in on the ESPN contract just for adding Power 5 schools. Wow. Well, there you go. Well, then just like you said, do the math and, you know, make more money. Um, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see if the Pac-12 falls and how everything realigns. I think it'd be very interesting on, you know, the playoff situation, you know, your, your conference championships. Um, you know, the matchups that are potentially there, it'd be, it'd be make, I think it'd make, it'd make college football more fun, uh, you know, and, and I, you, you didn't, and just when you didn't think you could make it more fun, it's, you know, all these realignments and creating new rivalries as well. You know, it's, it's, we're in for some fun, some fun years upcoming in the college football world for sure. Right. And, and- the Pac-12, uh, going through the, the the latest issues that have come out that they can't get their TV deal situation figured out. It's being pushed back. It's going to be majority streaming. ESPN and Fox seem to not be interested. 
looks like it's going to be the CW uh, potential involved <laughs> and Apple TV and then the money being being light, comparably speaking here. Um, you know, it, it's – I'll say this. I'm not rooting for the Pac-12 to collapse. But at the end of the day, Jose, if you give me the choice, would I rather those teams – go to the Big 12 and the Big 12 gets stronger and the Pac-12 potentially fade off, I mean, I'll I'll take the teams. Like, I'll, I'll be honest here. Somebody with a rooting interest in the Big 12, I I can't say I feel too bad about what's going on with how, how we've been treated in this conference and thought of as the redheaded stepchilds and everything here. Um, like, I, I, I don't really feel that bad. And – and with with all that said, you know, we hear about culture all the time, the cultural fit. Colorado has been – their fans have been welcoming. They love the idea of the Big 12, Deion Sanders and everything. From people I've talked to, Deion's actually pushing for uh, Colorado to make the move to the Big 12. You hear, you know, Arizona's name's been mentioned, and Arizona State have had some pushback. Utah, of those potential schools, has had the loudest pushback of – kind of the the West Coast elitist mentality and all that. Um, but, you know, even even with all that said, of what pushback you may have um, and cultural fits and all that, as, as being the bigger person here, uh, Jose, I am willing and able to see past the things that have been said, and, and you can still come to this league and we'll open you up know, with – with open arms here, I'm ready to give these teams uh, that uh, that 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 exit door to uh, to freedom from uh, from that folding conference. There, we we can we can give that peace offering. Come here, and we'll. I'm still <laughs> willing to look past the things you've said. I think uh, Utah's probably saying no since they they're in an easy conference. <laughs> As it is, it's the Big Twelve. <laughs> um, I think, I think Dion's over here thinking about money, and yes. I think you know, and I think it'd be better for for him to also be able to recruit into, hey, we're going to play against the Big Twelve. You know, this is a really good conference. You know, and, and be able to sell that. And you know, I I just I think it's funny that the Pac twelve one of the options is a CW. <laughs> When when did we ever think that that'd be an option? I mean, Liv Golf's on there, but I mean the Pac-12. Well, I mean, <laughs> and, and I like Liv. Um, you know, I, I, I we've been to a Live event. We, we were out yeah. there a couple weeks ago. But if we're gonna be real with y'all, uh, they won't even report the TV ratings from Live events because they're that bad from from uh, CW. <laughs> and they don't even publish the numbers. So you want to put Pac-12 games on there? Okay, yeah. that's the route you want to go. That's that's a conference that's, you know, a sinking ship. And we will rescue you. We will give you a lifeboat <laughs> and forget all the things that you said. I'm willing to overlook that. But that's I, would simple, probably, I would probably pick Apple TV instead of CW. I mean, we can't even watch these MLS games on there. <laughs> I mean, like. I've watched now. Granted, uh, you know, I, I'm a casual soccer fan, so I'll preface that. I've maybe been able to see like two or three Sporting Kansas City games of, of my uh, my favorite MLS team all year because of that <laughs> stupid Apple TV contract. Uh, 
Apple TV, if, if you're listening, uh, I didn't, I didn't call it stupid. I'll, I'll take a job if you, if you want. Uh, <laughs> you, you guys get that. Yeah. Um, the Big Ten situation, real quick. Um, we'll talk about this more when Bo joins us coming up later in the football fix. Um, but very interesting of that TV contract of when Kevin Warren left as commissioner, it kind of left a mess. Uh, for the Big Ten, of that they didn't really necessarily have all their deals worked out, where NBC is getting a conference championship game, but it comes at the cost of Fox losing one, and teams actually will lose money by giving NBC this conference championship game. And then you have schools that don't want to play night games in November, um, in particular Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, in the NBC contract, is a primetime contract for games all season long. Uh, so with all that being said, Jose, the, the Big Ten is about to bring in a billion dollars a year for this soon-to-be 16-team conference. Um, look, figure it out, right? You're, you're about to be really rich. You're about to make more money than any other league. I mean, like, play football. I guess you take the loss from NBC. It didn't didn't work out but wow you're you're going to be okay like all this that's being made you know if if you're that upset about playing night games in november like i'd i'd be willing to give you all the 11 a.m games you want the big 12 you can you can have all of them as many 11 a.m games come on through (laughs) you know especially in the world where you you're seeing the pac-12 struggles to even get a contract you know, television contract, you know, media, you would think that they would be okay with playing nights. Like, you know what? Playing primetime? Okay. Right, primetime. Like, this is a blessing. You know, you're you're getting paid. You're about to make a lot of money. Um, You know, you don't see a lot of – you don't see NFL teams complaining on their schedule, you know, as, hell, I got to play on Sunday night football or I got to play Monday night football. You don't see NFL teams complaining because they're making money. Could you imagine if OU and Texas, knowing that what's going on with the Big Ten here, shouldn't OU and Texas have said, no, we're not doing 11 a.m. kickoffs on Fox. We're not playing big (laughs) game games. I know they hated it, OU in particular. That's one reason that led to their exit. But knowing what's going on in the Big Ten, like OU and Texas, they should have demanded, no, we're not playing at 11 a.m. You know, screw that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I. Man, I don't know. I mean, do you think this is going to be a big obstacle for them to overcome? <laughs> I think they'll find ways to work around it. One thing, too, that will help. Remember, it's only four weeks, the month of November, uh, folks keeping track at home and calendars. And next year, you add in USC and UCLA, I would think that – and Nebraska has already stepped up and said, hey, we'll play night games in November. We have no problem with that. So – that right there should solve – you would think you're going to get at least one USC home game to be a November night game, and probably Nebraska. So that takes care of it there for a couple of the weeks. But, yeah, it's a, it's an odd setup for sure. We'll have more with Bo on that coming up later. Kid McFarland said to join us. Bo will be here for the football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group and uh, Tom Fullery at the end of the show as well. Stick around. More to come. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Joining us now, the Jones Sport this week. Pleased to welcome in Caden McFarland from 
Channel 2 in Tulsa. Always a pleasure when we get the chance to uh, talk with uh, Caden. He joins us right now. Uh, no longer 2 News works for you, though, right, Caden? Uh, you're, you're, yeah. Uh, you're Oklahoma's uh, guy now. Yeah, That's right. That's right. 2 News Oklahoma. That's The branding stuff is all well above my pay grade, Tyler. But, yeah, my shirts say something different, and I sign off saying something different, and uh sounds good to me rolls off the tongue right two news so you're not working you're not working for the people anymore no you know we (laughs) we we uh no we we did all we could working for you (laughs) we're still working for you in a sense but uh like i say the less i say on this the better probably i'm yeah i loved being uh i loved working for you now i love uh two news oklahoma i love it all Oh yes. Uh, love. How are things? In I see the, you got Lincoln Riley on your wall behind me. Oh, Baker Mayfield. That that was a the game I covered uh, several years ago. Yeah, when uh, when they came to the Lawrence. Pick. Yeah, so that, that's a that's a original photo by my uh, photographer took actually. So I uh, it, I like it. I my living room actually uh, is like a couple it. different. It's like all games I've covered with original photos of coverage work I've done uh, with uh, like every scene. So I got like the college world series, a couple chiefs games with Mahomes, nice. all that tiger woods, you know, the PGA. So a few different things. So, yeah, I like, it. Hey, not to hijack your podcast, but really quickly, Please the do. best, the best college quarterback Lincoln Riley has coached is who? Uh, Talent-wise, Caleb Williams. It the, is. I know. I can't believe it. The more Honestly, accomplished one is all the guys. I go back to Sam Bradford here. I covered Colt McCoy when I was in Texas. And Vince Young. I think Caleb Williams is the best I've seen. It's insane. But anyway. You know, what? not it funny about that, that he's basically this era's Troy Aikman? He's got everything. He's got I mean, everything. The if story that's, if of that's starting at OU it, it, and going to Los Angeles and now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and not only that, but <laughs> for his era, Troy had absolutely everything the NFL was looking for in a franchise quarterback, yeah. a number one pick. Like as much as, yeah, I mean, you could go back to Elway and find somebody, I guess, who stood out. In that. But like Troy was, was it. He was in 1980. Nine, that you wanted an NFL quarterback to look like. And I think that in 2023, Caleb Williams is what you want an NFL quarterback to look like. Like, can make all of the throws, the arm checks all the boxes, but then it's not just the ability to elude, but it's strength that goes with it. It's a great combination of, like, Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray and – you know, it, it, let's throw in Baker Mayfield since those are all the guys that Lincoln Riley has coached. He's kind of a combination of all of them. You know? And I think the best of the bunch, which is crazy. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you, you had that ESPN list a couple of days ago, the best college quarterback since the 2000s, and Baker was mm-hmm. number one. But, I mean, Caleb Williams, of just the, the talent that's there, I mean, I, I see – I, I feel blasphemous even uttering it, but I see the Mahomes there uh, of the athleticism and the arm strength, the passing ability, everything in between. And now Cliff Kingsbury showing up. And and, and that one uh, of Kingsbury being the quarterback's coach there, Caden, I feel like that's just to add another name to, to Kingsbury's resume. It does him no benefit. Uh, Ken Williams doesn't need Cliff Kingsbury. 
Oh man, as, as a uh, as a lifelong diehard Notre Dame fan, with them coming to South Bend this year, you're giving me indigestion late late at night here, Tyler. Oh man, uh, no, that offense is going to be scary, no question. Yeah, I think so. Caden, uh, uh, let's start staying out in the uh, Pac-12. That's where I wanted to be uh, begin today, actually, with. Colorado, the noise is as loud, I think, as it's ever been. Uh, Barry Trammell, uh, our colleague from the Oklahoman, put out a uh, report this week that uh, a Big 12 source is telling him that Colorado is ready to accept an invite to the Big 12 conference. Uh, What do you make of uh, Barry's reporting and where this uh, this stands? How do they fit in this new Big 12? Uh, Seems like a natural fit, right? What, What say you? Sure. Yeah. I fit hardly matters, frankly. I mean, they'll, they'll yep. fit fine. They've been here before they were here when it was the big seven, the big eight. I mean, like they play teams from this part of the world, they'll fit just fine. It's not like going West did great things for that athletic department. In fact, you know, it went the other way. And so, yeah, by all means, they'll fit fine. And I assume we're talking about those four corner schools probably coming yes. with them, Arizona, who, I mean, because Arizona loves its basketball, and the Big 12 is so good at basketball right now. Uh, that feels like a great fit as well. You know, Arizona State and then I guess Utah is probably most reluctant uh, for, you know, they finally, when they went to the Pac-12, uh, I don't want to say got out of the shadow of BYU because they were on equal footing, but they were now head and shoulders above BYU in terms of profile and where they were. They don't want to be back on equal footing uh, with the Cougars if they can help it. But right. look, if if what Barry reported is true, and I have no reason to think that anything Barry Trammell ever says is anything but um, gospel with regard to his source being solid and this actually being talked to, not to say that he's breaking news that he actually wasn't trying to break. But, um, you know, I, I think fit is not necessarily here it's simply survival and that big 12 commissioner brett yormark has simply done a better job of and bowlsby before him and bringing in the the four schools he brought in uh done a better job of surviving than the 12 brass has, has done uh they these are two conferences that were on pretty equal footing at the start of this uh, when they were first destabilized, if you will, OU and Texas leaving for the SEC and then USC and UCLA leaving uh, for the Big Ten. And you would probably have given the Pac-12 even a slight advantage over the Big 12, all things considered at that time. And I think that the moves the Big 12 has made have just been better. The timing has been better. Being aggressive, your mark being aggressive has been huge. And here's here's the thing at the end of the day. Um we are, you take away OU in Texas, and this league is not what it was. No question. No question. Uh, and there are not eighty or 90,000 seat stadiums in this part of the world. And the, the outposts, Ames, Iowa, Stillwater, Oklahoma, Manhattan, Kansas, uh, they don't typically hold a candle to Seattle, Washington, Eugene, Oregon, Palo Alto, California. We get all of that. Stuart Mandel, we get it. That said... People in this part of the country pair more than people out west. And I, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle. I grew up in, in New Mexico, which is for Western, certainly in its college football uh, ethos. Um, and, and I've seen it now here. And years ago, I go, I tell this story all the time. There's uh, somebody who worked at Oklahoma State years ago when I got to Tulsa back in 2008, and they had worked at the Pac-12 
for you at the past 10 institution before coming to Oklahoma State, thinking about the uh, school produced, and it was actually, you know, hired out uh, pregame video, kind of hype video uh, that Oklahoma State was doing that year. And as you know, anybody who's ever been to a game in Norman, 15, 20 years ago, they started these really high-end pregame intro videos that gave everybody chill bumps. And, uh, and unbeknownst to me, they spend huge, huge money on those things. Those are produced by makers, right? Right. And I have to talk to this guy at Oklahoma State about the one they were produ- producing and what it would cost them. And basically what he told it was six figures, basically. And what he told me was, there is no way in the world we could have gotten this signed off on in the Pac-10. Just no way. The priorities are different. Academics just matter more and football just matters more in this part of the world and so yeah the stadium in Stillwater doesn't hold more than 60,000 and the stadium in Ames Iowa doesn't hold like you know I think it's roughly 50 but fill those things up and the people in those communities care and the people in those communities turn on their televisions and watch and the Pac-12 is in a bad way that way because it's much harder for them to all pull in the same direction because they have competing interests and academics matter more. And so the Big 12, Brett Yormark has been able to, you know, and the TV, if ESPN and Fox didn't agree with everything I just said there, the Pac-12 would already have a deal and the Big 12 would be the one out in the cold. There's a reason for this. And so, yeah, these, these institutions aren't any more prestigious than the ones on the left coast. No question. I'm not arguing with that. The locales are not more prestigious. No question. But we care about football more. And so it makes it a better investment, a better bet for the guys who are handing out these checks. And so the Pac-12 does appear to be legs, perhaps. And I, I didn't necessarily I wouldn't have said that a couple of weeks ago. You know, I, I think Barry's report is really important in that way to hear, you know, because this has been rumored about for a while. But I, I didn't know for sure that it was anything more than wishful thinking from Big 12 country. Uh, but it sounds like and of course, we heard the report earlier this week about Washington State and some of the you know monetary issues there uh, because of issues with the Pac-12 conference and decisions Larry Scott made that have put them in, in a bad position. Um it may be time to blow up the Pac-12, which is crazy and sad. And I wish we weren't in this position. I really, I really do wish this was not the case. Uh, but I, it looks to me like the Big 12 is going to pull off. Uh, let's call it the 12-5 thing uh, and perhaps vanquish uh, the Pac-12 and, and reap the rewards that that come with that uh, in this day and age where it's you know sort of winner takes all. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right about that. And so – you know, with that said, are the Big 12 in a position of strength? Colorado seems like that they're on their way and maybe more from the Pac-12, but the ACC also in turmoil as well here. Uh, things ha- have changed a lot. I-, I think the Big 12 started out as just hopeful to land maybe a couple Pac-12 teams, and now the ACC in question, we- we've heard reports this week of – Brett Yormark's interest in UConn potentially and and maybe you know some basketball only schools and everything, maybe a rebrand of the whole league here. Um th- this is a, a unique position the, the Big 12's in right now that they've really never been in before, Kate. Totally agree. And look, the the more you split that pie, uh typically the harder it is to to send out those payments at the same level. But, you know, I don't think the Big 12 uh, is hamstrung in the same way, let's say, the SEC or Big 10 is. When 
when the SEC or Big Ten looks at potential expansion now or later, they got to think long and hard about it. You know, even with somebody like Florida State, who obviously brings great value, but do you really does does the University of Florida, which has been you know a longstanding member of the SEC, how do they feel about that? Um, so, and the more you divvy up that pie, you know, the harder it is to to make everybody whole. The Big Twelve doesn't have the same issue for the most part. Most of those ACC schools, if that destabilizes and falls apart. Most of the ACC schools that the Big 12 might add bring, I think, every bit as much to the table as, let's say, your average Big 12 team or probably more. So I don't think when they go back to ESPN to renegotiate, having added some ACC schools, I don't think that it's going to drop in terms of what you get per school. The payout should remain, you know, about the same size. And so it makes more sense for the Big 12 than I think any other league out there right now, with the exception of, you know, if the Pac-12 could you know, pull off a Hail Mary. Uh, it makes more sense for the Big 12 to be aggressive and add sort of as much as they can because it's harder for them to, um, you know, reduce what it is they'll be paying out per school is my guess. And now I talk about this thing. I, I'm not in those meetings. I don't know what ESPN and Fox think about that. But my guess is if, you know, it comes down to it and the Big 12 looks at it and says, hey, we can add North Carolina State and Virginia Tech. I don't think ESPN has any problem saying, okay, you guys are, you know, we're cutting you a check for this. We're just going to, you know, add two more on there and, and continue to put it up at the same level because uh, that simply adds more quality to the league that's like quality. You're not, you're not letting in any busters. So um, I, I think the Big 12 can continue to be aggressive and doubt will continue to be aggressive. Uh, it's interesting with the basketball-only schools. We had heard Gonzaga some time ago, and now UConn makes – even more sense than that because they play football as well uh, because the big 12 has such great momentum in college basketball. And because I think Brett Yormark is such a big basketball guy. If you can make this the league right now, while everybody else is so focused, kind of only focused on football, if you can, at the same time, you're trying to play the best football you possibly can continue to set yourself apart year in, year out as the best basketball league there is and only enhance that. Uh, I think that there is, you know, I know that everybody thinks that basketball sort of small potatoes, uh, but to me, that would be a really good thing for for the Big 12. And it would continue to differentiate yourself uh, because ESPN will continue to be in the college basketball business, no doubt. Yeah. And uh, I really like Yarmark's idea of doing a basketball separate contract the next TV go round. And especially if you can add more teams and bring that value there. Um uh, watch out. There's a lot of potential yeah. as far as that goes. We'll see uh, where things turn out. Uh, of your neck of the woods, the, the Sooners and the Pokes. We'll start out with the Sooners here uh, real quick. Uh, coming off that disappointing year in year one under Brent Venables, uh, they did bring in a good recruiting class, both of the high school ranks and the portal, both. Now heading into year two uh, for Brent Venables here. What's the expectations here? Uh, Dylan Gabriel and company uh, coming back. What do you think OU can do here? Do you think that they bounce back and get things in gear as they head towards the uh, SEC here? Yeah, my guess is without question they bounce back. I Frankly, uh, I don't know that they need to be even a whole lot better than they were last year to bounce back in a way that looks pretty good, at least in the wins and losses, because I think the schedule is easier and you're not going to continue to lose every close game you play. I mean, it just typically – that regresses to the mean somewhat. And you would assume that even if they're not great, they'll find a way to win a couple of close games and the record will look a whole lot better. Uh, the big, here's, 
as I look at this program right now, uh, I have two very different feelings about it. Uh, nothing's more important in college football, and especially as OU goes into the SEC. Like, you got to have the dudes to compete, and they do. You said good recruiting class. It was a great recruiting class, and considering the lackluster season they had, I, that was as good a recruiting class as I could possibly imagine. We we heard from the guys, uh, you know, old media guys who had been here for years, you know, and covered Brent Venables, uh, you know, before I got here even, uh, that this dude, if nothing else, he can recruit. And we saw that immediately with the staff he hired and the way he got after it. He's got a formula for it. It looks like it's going to happen again, especially on the defensive line uh, this year in the, the class of 2024. So it starts there. And I think the program could not be in a healthier position with regard to recruiting. You got a five-star quarterback coming on campus now with Jackson Arnold. Uh, you were recruiting on the defensive side of the ball so much better than what they have for the most part over the last not only 10 years, 15 years. Uh, you are getting the dudes that will give you a chance, you know, once you're in the SEC uh, in 2024 and beyond. But if you're going to do anything with all of that talent, Brent Venables has to show me a whole lot more as a program manager and a game day coach than what he did one year ago. And, you know, I've heard some stories about um, how he can be a little bit scatterbrained, you know, and, and we see that in his press conferences, kind of jumps everywhere. And some of those meetings that he requires people to be in can go on and on and on. And people aren't necessarily uh, completely confident in, in what they're being asked uh, to do. And there's, I think, I think there was some miscommunication, you know, in, in his first year as head coach. And then, you know, the biggest piece of it, frankly, was the game day management. It just it wasn't any good at all. They, they lost every single close game. Uh, I didn't uh, you know, you can question all the little things going forward on fourth down here, kicking a field goal there on and on. Whatever he did, it, it very often was just the wrong thing for whatever reason. I can't remember a game last year where I felt like Brent Venables as a head coach, as a game day manager, making those decisions, put his stamp on it in a good way. And you could say, you know, I think the Sooners won today or played great today because of these things Venables did on game day. I mean, there was no hint of that. And so he's got to prove himself to be much, much better in that way. He, he came up under Bill Snyder and then Bob Stoops and Dabo Sweeney. All of those guys did a fantastic job uh, in everything I'm talking about. And so it, my guess is he is going to be a lot better. And there was a major learning curve and he was maybe trying to get too much accomplished. And maybe there was just a little bit, you know, he knew how important recruiting was. And so maybe um, they put a little bit too much of their time and energy into this or that, as opposed to, you know, getting the team to really, you know, know what its job was and how it needed to be successful on a given Saturday. And maybe it was, you know, he had so much success as a, as a defensive coach and, is used to running a play, you know, playbook this thick or, you know, uh, plays with this option or that and just couldn't get it all communicated to the guys in, in season one. And so I do expect that to be better. I don't expect Brent Venables to be Bob Stoops in that way right. in, in season two. I, I don't think improvement uh, on, you know, that scale is forthcoming. But because he's recruiting so well, uh, because he's building up the staff and, you know, they're looking at facilities and everything else, and I think the overall plan is good. I think the ship is heading in the right direction. Uh, there may be just a little bit more of a learning curve than I would have guessed with regard to Brent and the duties of being head coach. It, it is right. 
different than than what he's done for the rest of his college career. And so, well, and we've um, seen guys you know, in the past turn things around. Where I mean, you, you look at you know even Kirby Smart uh, took over sure. at Georgia, a ten win program every year, wins six games in his first year. Yeah. Everybody said Kirby, he's got to stop Kirbying and making you know yeah. these boneheaded decisions. Now he's won two national championships since. So. You can't overcome these things. Still work to be done. I really like Dylan Gabriel a lot. Uh, I thought that he impressed me coming back from injury in that second half of last year. He could be – I think he could work his way in the first round, potentially the draft, if he has a good year. We'll see what happens there in Norman. In Stillwater, a lot of pressure on Mike Gundy. Uh, what, what do you make of uh, what's going on with that Oklahoma State uh, program heading into 2023? It's crazy how quickly things can change. I mean, it was not very long ago – that we were in Glendale, Arizona, and Mike Gundy was saying, hey, we've got a logo too, and he had a win over fifth-ranked Notre Dame and a 12-win season, and I just assumed going forward that once Oklahoma and Texas left the Big 12, Oklahoma State was positioned as well or better than anybody to kind of become the king of this league. And there wasn't much to change my mind through the first month and a half of last season. There were a couple of really great moments, the win on the road against Baylor and the win against Texas at home. Uh, and then the state of Kansas happened to him. <laughs> it was uh, it was some weird, wild stuff. Obviously, injuries were a, were a huge part of that. And Spencer Sanders never quite being right or the same uh, the rest of the year. And it snowballed on him and you end up with a record of seven and six and then something of a mass exodus. I mean, they lost as much in the portal as almost anybody in the country, save Colorado. Uh, with regard to at least frontline talent, guys who started last year or were going to start this season, uh, who, you know, up and left and ended up at, at Power 5 programs mostly. And so um, there is this real fork in the road moment, I think, this season, much sooner than than I would have guessed, you know, like I said, 18 months ago or whenever that Fiesta Bowl victory was. Um where it feels like this is just an incredibly important season for Mike Gundy and the future of OSU football, because if it looks like it did one year ago and you go something like six and six or five and seven, whoo boy. Um, you know, I, I, Mike loses, I think a whole lot of support from, from a lot of folks who, you know, not only have had their issues with him maybe in the past, but some folks who have been real supporters. Uh, but again, you look at that schedule, and in my mind, if they can get decent quarterback play at all, whether that's Alan Bowman or, or Garrett Rangel, the schedule sets up in what appears to be a really, really good way. I saw power rankings from somebody on Twitter the other day. They had Oklahoma State ninth out of 14 teams in the Big 12, which ain't good. But everybody ranked lower than them, they face. And so OSU... Uh, I believe could go eight and four if they didn't pull a single upset. Let's assume those power rankings are correct. And OSU is in fact the ninth best team in the big 12. All they got to do is win their non-conference games and then beat everybody that, you know, this power ranking person uh, felt is below Oklahoma state to have an eight and four season that most people would feel at least decent about. And so I think the schedule sets up in a good way. If they can get good quarterback play, keep their quarterbacks healthy uh, I think that they can maybe surprise some people. And, and Gundy does this pretty well. When he's backed into a corner, uh, very often you get his best shot. And so it wouldn't surprise me if that's the kind of season they have. I do not think that they are a Big 12 championship contender. I don't think this is a great team, but I think it is a team that could have a pretty nice little season uh, with the big assist to the, from the schedule. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I know you got to run here, so what I end on, uh, one quick note on the Thunder 
A lot of excitement uh, there with this uh, franchise over uh, exceeding expectations in uh, 2022 through 2023, getting to the play-in tournament. Um, you get Chet Holmgren back next year, really good young core, SGA's first team All-NBA, and you still got the number 12 draft pick coming right now. Uh, future's very bright for this organization, uh, and there's still more picks beyond this year coming up. A lot of them. Yeah, no question. A lot of picks coming in uh, 2025. You get the Clippers unprotected, Houston potentially. Uh, that is top five protected, I believe. Uh, um, they need shooting. And I, I would be a little bit surprised if the Thunder stay there at 12. They've had some great luck with the 12th pick. Uh, Nick Collison, 20 years ago. Uh, Steven Adams, 10 years ago. And then Jalen Williams, who's runner-up in Rookie of the Year voting this year, uh, just one year ago. So they've done a nice job from 12, you know, if Sam Presti's making the pick, it feels like more often than not, it's it's going to be a good one. But to me, because of the capital they have and what they can trade, uh, to me, they're probably going to try and move up. I don't know how high they can move up. It feels like getting to the top four could be really tough. Um, but I, I, I'd i be surprised if they don't use something to get up a little bit. You need shooting. Um, if they stay at 12 or if they're only able to move up a few spots, you know, your guy from Kansas, Grady Dick, maybe. Is, is a guy who, who might fit pretty well. Um, I'm I'm a little bit torn on him. I could have my mind changed. Um, he was only a freshman. No yeah. doubt he can shoot. Uh, if you have all the other pieces in place, that may be one of the most perfect spots that, that he could walk into, frankly, uh, especially if Chet Holmgren is what we think he can be defensively. My greatest hope for this team, other than SGA, who proved himself now, a bona fide superstar. My greatest hope for this team is that Chet Holmgren is as good defensively. And we're talking about not just the length and the ability to block shots, but the instincts. He was such an incredible help defender at Gonzaga. Uh, and some of the, the next level stats show that when he was on the floor defensively, they were something very different than when he was off the floor. If Chet Holmgren can come in and be sort of a Rudy Gobert, Tim Duncan type early in his career, defensively only, uh, that allows you to put a guy like a Grady Dick on the floor and say, hey, buddy, just shoot. Well, We yeah. know you're not ready to defend people at this level, but just just be a knockdown shooter for us. And that would be uh, – I, I think this is a playoff team next year, almost no question in my mind. And if Chet is special, um, this is a, a Western Conference championship contender sooner than later. Well, and and one more note real quick. You mentioned the idea of trading up. I know some people aren't, aren't going to like to hear this, but if you're talking about a guy that would be a perfect fit for this team, of, you know, of what they're needing schematically, number two for Brandon Miller would uh, would be something. I had I had a really good buddy of mine who texts me, uh, talks to me about the Thunder all the time, uh, texts me during my daughter's uh, end of school, end of year program. Uh, and the text was so juicy that I had to uh, <laughs> had to hide my phone from my wife and, re and respond to it. Um, the question was, what would you give up to get to Brandon, you know, get up to three for Brandon Miller? Uh, and he was talking about kind of the entire draft hall, what they've got coming in 25 and 26. And I said, I think I would go in and give up all of it. You know what I mean? I, I would I, I would do anything I possibly could to get up there and get Brandon Miller right now. Um, I know that the incident, the, the gun every, like I get it. I, that does not seem like a thunder guy does not seem like a Sam Presti guy, 
But I've also read reports since that say that was really out of character and that's not what you're going to get from this guy. And here's the thing. If Sam Presti is not interested, then I'm not either. Right. And right. Presti, I trust with regard to that. If Sam Presti is interested at that point, I'm willing to give up almost everything and go all in right now with your core being SGA, Chet, Jalen Williams, Miller. And, you know, I, frankly, I think Giddy ends up being a sixth man when, you know, and if these guys uh, end up becoming true title contenders. But you've right. got most of those pieces already in place. I think he gives you everything you need. The length, the three-point shooting, the athleticism, everything the Thunder needs, at least in my mind, at this moment to go alongside SGA, Chet, and Jalen uh, is kind of wrapped up in one little package there in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, even uh, even throwing Lou Dort in uh, if you have to, yeah. uh, you know that's that's more than okay as far as I'm concerned. Caden, I know you got to run. Thanks for joining us, man. Uh, follow this guy. Check out his work. Uh, he's not working for you anymore. He's working for Oklahoma now. For Oklahoma, uh, the entire state. It's a yes. big, big job. Caden, the governor, lieutenant governor. Some I'm down in there somewhere working <laughs> for the state of Oklahoma. Tyler, always good to talk to you, buddy. Love to see what you're doing with your career. All the best, man. <laughs> Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. He's also the host of the Coach Bo Knows Podcast out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts, and he joins us right now. Bo, uh, always a pleasure, uh, my friend. Uh, I got to know, as the elder statesman of this show, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm turning 27 this weekend. What do I need to know uh, ahead of uh, year 27? What What am I in store for? There is no difference between 26, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. <laughs> They're pretty much all the same. Okay. You don't, you don't when you celebrate it. I mean, you do want to go have a couple of drinks with your buddies, that kind of thing. You get a chance to go have a couple of beers, go do it. But uh, I I don't think you really celebrate those between 25 and 30. 30 is a big deal. You know, you're kind of halfway to 30. So it's. Oh, that know, hurt to hurt here. Oh, no. 27, I mean, it's close enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, so I, and, you know, you get to my age, you don't even worry about birthdays anymore. You just you just get to the round numbers and let it go. <laughs> You'll start to feel a little bit a little bit more tired. Okay. Your body won't respond quite as well as it used to. Okay. Rest is your friend, the older you get. Sure. So, like, uh, the other day, I drove back from my parents' house in Tulsa to straight straight into work in Dallas. You know, left at like 5 30 in the morning, got in the office, you know, before 9 30. And beforehand, like my little sister, she was asking my parents, how does Tyler do that? Like how does he get up that early and then after that long drive go to work? And my dad's like, well he's he's young. He's got a lot of energy. And so uh basically I, I don't know how much longer I can uh I can keep doing these uh that, that, that four-hour commute to work, you know. Hey, you know what? They say that, um, what is it, 40 is the new 30, 50 is the new 40. Look, 27 is like 17. 17, okay. You got to be young and spry and, and having a good time. I mean, yeah. maybe you're my age. And you, you get a little older and you go, wow, you know, things don't quite go. The, uh, the parts of the body don't go back into the same spot all the time when you get to my okay. age. Sure. You got to like move it around. You got to know like you take, a, take an awkward step and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa what was that? You kind of roll your ankle a little bit like, okay, all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. Just think back, you know, that kind I of I mean, stuff. heck, Tariq Woolman of the Seahawks got injured this week walking. Yeah. 
Oh, you get to my age, you can do that really easy. <laughs> Step on a seam, a crack in this. Oh, yeah, oh, that can happen. Yeah. You no, know? you know, maybe you, you plant your foot a little too hard. Oh, that's happened. Yeah. Step in a hole. I once stepped in a hole while mowing the lawn and a goddamn oh. lawnmower almost fell back on me. Yikes. That was, yeah. Uh, Bo, let's start with uh, the great Jim Brown. Uh, yeah. Passed away uh, this uh, past week. Uh, one of the all-time greats, uh, no question about it, but what an incredible person. Like, his legacy is beyond just what he did on the football field. Yeah, you know, I mentioned on my podcast, we're going to do a lot on Jim Brown. This is someone that, first off, I'll say this, the football part of this, he is the greatest football player that's ever played the game. Even now, he is the greatest of all time. He is, to me, the greatest football player that ever laced a pair of boots or a pair of shoes. I mean, just he's that great. Um, there's some complications in Jim Brown. I mean, not everything is, is sunshines and rainbows when it comes to Jim Brown. But I liken – he's a man who had flaws, but a man who I think embodies who we are as people, especially men. Yeah. That – we can be hard-headed, we can be wrong, but as long as we're true to our core and who we are, we can understand and learn from the bad things and then do good for others. And I think that's Jim Brown's legacy uh, is, I mean, the things he's done with, you know, equal rights, with, you know, um, the way he's done for the African-American community. I've been doing a lot of reading on his American program, which I was aware of already, and what he has done with that, with gang members and prisoners. I mean, what this man did was phenomenal. And I was listening to a couple of different podcasts. I, I would point any of your listeners to Beaumonty Jones's podcast from Monday. He was fantastic talking about Jim Brown. The warts and all, because there are some warts. We're going to get it wrong. But I really think that the representation of him is that like I said earlier, it's you, you talk about we make mistakes, and in this world when we argue, especially on the political side, we argue that you can't change or we're very divisive by one thing or another. Jim Brown was someone who was very socially active and then was also very fiscally conservative and believed in a lot of those things. And it was very diverse in the things I, I've been doing a lot of reading on Jim Brown preparing for my podcast. And we're, I'm going to talk a lot about that this week. He's also interesting to me. And not only do I think he's this great athlete. I mean, he was when you're old, do you remember ESPN at the end of the, end of the 1900s? I mean, before the year 2000, they had the sports century. Yeah. They had the greatest athletes of the 20th century. Yeah. Jim Brown was number four. Um, you know, the only ones ahead of him were it was Michael Jordan, Ruth. Um, I don't remember who the third one was. But it was those two and one other were ahead of Jim Brown. But I think if you look, he's the one guy, if you go back to the 60s when he played, he could have played today. He could have been, as an athlete, he was great. Um, he was a world-class lacrosse player. So much so that the... Um, elite lacrosse league, which was the highest professional lacrosse league in America, their MVP award is named after Jim Brown. People don't realize that. This is a guy who was an All-American. Yeah, he had 13 
Um, he, he was he was a letter thirteen time letterman at Syracuse between track, lacrosse, and football. Uh, only played three years. They wouldn't let freshmen play. Think about that. Yeah, I mean, amazing. I mean, and his life. You look at it's like three acts of a play. You have this athletic part, which he was dominant. He was the dominant. He was the first dominant football player in America. And the records he set in the nine seasons he's played, he was the leading rusher for eight of the nine seasons in his lead in the league. Three-time MVP. And his rushing record he set in nine years wasn't broken until Walter Payton broke it in his 15th season. Emmett Smith then passed, and it took him almost 20 years. It was like 18. You look at that, you think about Jim Brown in nine years did these things. Jim Brown could have played today. Yeah, he could have played in any era. Uh, and, and that's just one part of his life. The athletic part is one part. Ivan I was talking about how there's the activist part of Jim Brown. You know, he called the big summit. They called it the Cleveland Summit, which I endorsed people to go check out. That was the thing when Muhammad Ali got um, – uh, arrested for not being inducted in the army. It was Jim Brown who brought other athletes to Ali and said, okay, we want to understand because we're not sure you're doing this for the right reasons. And they all stood together with Muhammad Ali when Ali then met with the press and everything else. And they understood, yeah, okay, we see where we support him. To me, Jim Brown is a Muhammad Ali in this era. It was Ali was the third person I was thinking of earlier that was the head of Jim Brown in the sports century. And then you have the part where he was an actor. I mean, he quit football to become an actor. I mean, he left. He basically called a bluff of the owner of the, of the Browns, quit football while on the set of the Dirty Dozen, and then went on to have a 30-year career as an actor. This is a man that wasn't just an athlete. His impact on America is huge. And I think that we should think of Jim Brown in the same way, in the same mindset we think of Muhammad Ali. I think so. You know, we talk all the time about Hall of Fames in sports. And one of the big qualifications typically that you ask yourself is, can you tell the story of this sport without this player? And if that makes them a Hall of Famer or not, I almost feel like you can't tell the story of America without Jim Brown. I mean, he was that much yeah. of an impact beyond just the sports world of what he brought mm -hmm. to the table. And, you know, we look at guys of trying to find that next chapter, that next step when that football career comes to a close. And a lot of them, you know, try to go into broadcasting or something like that. But I, I look at Jim Brown, that is a guy that got everything out of the life he lived. Uh, he maximized it. I mean, that that should be the standard bearer, the example of of the life you live, uh, of, of maximizing the time that we have on this earth, because it's so, so precious, the time that we have uh, of getting, of soaking it all in. That was Jim Brown. I think it's really well said, and I agree with you. It's Jim Brown is someone who is, I mean, this is a guy who, like you were saying, post-football was an actor. He ended up becoming an announcer, did a couple of years of announcing. Um, he was an announcer in the UFC. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. The original UFC pay-per-views, Jim Brown's one of the announcers. Really? He is, and you look at just, um, you know, 
what he represents. I think that you know he is you you cannot tell the story of football, not just the NFL, any football without Jim Brown. And then I think if you look at some of the greatest athletes of all time, you look at Jim Brown. And then I think if you look at culture in the 20th century, you can't tell that story without Jim Brown. Yeah. And I he had a, a his favorite saying was I do what I want to do. And look, there's good and bad to that. There's some things that, again, are flaws and are complicated in his life. No denying that. And there were some legal issues time to time, domestic issues. And he, you know, as he got older, understood some of those mistakes. He evolved, which I think that that's what we as men should do. It's me, who we as people ought to be. And I, I think that thing I most respect about Jim Brown is that he wasn't going to be painted as one thing. And I think in a situation we are now in 2023, we are all becoming painted as one thing. And I think that that's a legacy that is really great and something that we should be able to follow. To be guided by our own conscience and not be put into a box. Yeah. I agree. Uh, more on uh, Jim Brown and his legacy on the uh, Coach Bodo's podcast. We'd really just yeah. get some surface-level stuff there, but check that out for more uh, on Jim Brown. Uh, plenty more to catch up there. Bo, uh, on the football field itself, uh, let's start in San Francisco. Uh, reports out this week that the Niners are not sure if Brock Purdy is going to be healthy in time for week one or not. They sound optimistic, but there's reports to the contrary as far as his uh, – recovery goes from uh, the Tommy John surgery that he had. So uh, with that bow, uh, we know that they have a few quarterbacks there in San Francisco. Uh, you know, they obviously have Trey Lance, uh, but also Sam Darnold, who they brought in in free agency. And according to reports, sounds like they're pretty high on Sam Darnold. They like what he brings to the table, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch and company. And there's talk potentially they even might just go ahead and start Sam Darnold week one. Um, and whether that's Trey Lance as the backup or they move on from him, whatever it may be. Um, Bo, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Sam Darnold, I I think, has had a uh, – he's been given some bad chances. Uh, I'll, I'll put it that. I think Sam Darnold is a, a decent quarterback, actually. Uh, I think he's borderline starter, backup quality, you know, guy. He's never going to be a franchise quarterback. But I do think he's been put in some horrible situations in Carolina and with the Jets. Um, you know, with, with that said, though, I mean, like, really? Sam Darnold here? I mean, like, you spent all that money on Trey Lance. Um, you know, it, it'd be I, – I understand if, if you want to do the Lance or Purdy debate. That's one thing. And you and I have had that on the, this show before. Yeah, that today, yeah. but Lance or Darnold, I mean, at least well, I, I would say at the very least, give Lance if that's the decision, give him one more shot before you throw in the towel, right? Well, if if really they're high that high on Sam Darnold, then they have to trade Trey Lance. They got to let him get, got to get him out of there. Now, do your point on Sam Darnold? This guy was like a number three overall pick in 2018. He was, you know, went to that really bad Jets team. I mean, they just, it was not a good fit. They probably started a really bad early. Carolina team. 
Yeah, I mean, he just hasn't had a good, solid staff around him. Um, he's shown flashes. And I don't know that he's a starter, but I do think he's a quality player. I just think there's too many cooks in the kitchen, and they got to figure out what they're doing over there in San Francisco. I think that the whole Purdy, Lance, and Darnold thing, you have all three of them. You like all three? Someone has to go. Because you can't have those issues in that room, not in the quarterback room. That's the leader of the team. And if they're committed to Brock Purdy, whether I agree with them or not, if that's where they want to commit, if that's where they want to commit, then damn it, they got to commit. And to me, if you're going to commit to Brock Purdy, it's you keep Sam Darnold and you trade Trey Lance. But it seems like to me, they're trying to keep all their options open and, okay, let's see who wins this competition. Uh, I think Steve Spurrier once said it best. He says, when you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. If you got three quarterbacks, you really have a problem. I mean, that's that's a Coach Boism there. Uh, you got to have one leader. Now, and if it's Brock Purdy, and again, that's on the 49ers. If they think it's Brock Purdy, Fine. But you can't then say we like Darnold and make Darnold the third quarterback. He's going to have to be the backup. That's a, that's, he's a good backup option. What they're hoping for is they're frankly hoping for Trey Lance to be really good, start the season, and then if he tails off, bring in Brock Purdy when he's healthy and say, well, we're going to replace one with the other, and Sam Darnold's there in case there's another injury. You can't be half pregnant. So either you're in or you're out. I really don't believe in the quarterback room is not a room where you can have a committee. It's got to have one voice in the end. Now, let me me jump in with this. We saw what happened with the Niners last year. They had the worst quarterback luck I've ever seen when it comes injury-wise. And the irony was they actually had a very good offensive line. Um, yeah. just bad luck, you know, with uh, yeah, going down Jimmy G, Brock Purdy in the NFC championship game, going to Josh Johnson. Is all of this an overreaction to the bad luck they had last year of the injuries at the quarterback position? That's a really good point, and it might be. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way. It might just be an overreaction to last season and not knowing the health of Brock Purdy. And that would make some sense to me now that you bring it up that way. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. I don't think you're incorrect on that either. Yeah. um, Because, I mean, it was was the worst of circumstances. Like, the O-line was great, and yet they still had these guys. uh, Their their offense was phenomenal. Yeah, it it was freak accidents that hurt their quarterbacks. It was not their offensive line going to get somebody killed. No, that's a really great offensive line, especially in the run game. And, You're not going to get your quarterback hurt like that. And not to mention, at the end of the day, I mean, they ended up needing all all three. You know, they with uh, Lance starting out the year with Jimmy G taking them to November, and then Purdy the rest of the way. Um, you know, they ended up needing all three guys, and all three of them had their moments, and the team, you know, went through a rough patch to start the season, but really caught momentum when Jimmy G took over. So, 
I, I think also part of it too, Bo, is the is the ego of Kyle Shanahan. Because what have you and I, we, we've said this for a long time, Kyle Shanahan's favorite quarterback is his next quarterback. And yeah, the knock on him. I, I think that this is another situation here where he he's trying to, to flirt with a, a few different quarterbacks, keep all his options open. Like it's it's yeah. it's a guy that doesn't want to commit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's well put. I just think at some point you got to say, "Hey, uh, this is our guy." Yeah. Especially if your goal is to be going playing playing for a ring at the end of the year, and the Forty ers that's their goal. So tell me this, okay? Let's let's say that. Uh, that you're running the 49ers situation right now. If you're Kyle Shanahan, you got Brock Purdy, who might be available week one, might not. We don't know. But it's looking kind of unlikely at this point. You have Darnold, you have Trey Lance there. If I give you the keys to San Francisco, how are you handling that quarterback room right now? I got to get my head coach in the room and say, which one do you like best? Well, which, let's, say, which... let's say you can make all those decisions. If make all the decisions. Okay. I've got to know, okay, I look at it this way then. Which one is the best upside? To me, that's to me, that's Trey Lance. Okay. Okay. That mean he's that doesn't and I also think he's the one that can bust. You know, this is the argument we had about a couple other players in this league. I think that what I would have to do is say, okay, he's already played. We've seen the injury, I can forgive an injury, because everyone gets hurt at some point in their career. He's ready for the game. What we're going to have to do is play the kid. And if he's not good, then we're going to whoever the backup is. Yeah. Plus, there's a lot of capital spent in Trey Lance. If you don't make a decision sooner than later, you risk end up being what the Packers just did with Jordan Love. Sure. And then you just don't know. You have less in Brock Purdy as far as your cost. Now, some people will say, well, you have a sunken cost, doesn't matter. That's true. But then I'm looking at where's the upside. So I'm going to find out. I'm going to find right now, Brock Purdy would be, not, I'm sorry, Trey Lance would be taking every single rep with the first offense, every single one in every practice. In every training camp, everything. He gets every first team rep. And if I can look at that and go, well, he ain't got it, then I'm going to make the trade. Because I could probably get more for him than I can for Brock Purdy because of the upside potential. But I got to know what I've got in him first and foremost. So you And then on- I can make a more informed decision. So you're hanging on Sam Darnold then? I think I would just because I like the idea of him being your backup. Because again, the cost is negligible. And I do think he's an adequate backup quarterback. Right. I mean, if you had a quarterback who was out, let's say it was, let's say it was Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy twists his ankle and he's going to be out four weeks. I think I could win two out of four games with the data offense with, um, with, with um, Sandra on the quarterback. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like the idea of him as a backup. I don't like the idea of both Brock Purdy and Trey Lance in the roster. If you think that both of them are starting quarterbacks. Yeah. Because that just hinders both of them. Yeah. 
I see where you're coming from there. Um, moving on, uh, Matt Arizon, uh started his career, of course, in college at San Diego State, goes to the Bills, gets caught with the uh, rape allegations. Ultimately, he was vindicated, uh, found not guilty, proved that he wasn't even there when it happened. Now he's yeah, being he wasn't yeah. All charges dropped. All charges dropped. Um this is a guy that uh you know, cleared his name. Now he's he's trying out for NFL teams and, and everything here. Um we, we he's been known to have like, you know, just everything you want in a punter, a power leg, great accuracy, and all that. Uh should teams have any hesitations or or is all of that cleared and gone with now? He he maintained his innocence the entire time. He's been, um, you know, the, the 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 police, everybody, investigators, everyone involved, the accusers have even said this person wasn't even there. That I don't see the problem with. Yeah, why wouldn't you take? It? Now with the Jets, I know he's, he's the Jets are looking at him. The Jets will have a situation if they bring him in. That's a lot of money because if he's he's been a veteran, he's been in the league a couple of years now. Even if you pay the veteran minimum, yeah, they've got Thomas Morstead already, who they just gave him what a million, uh, one point one, one point two million to, yeah, guaranteed. So that's, you know, that's a lot of money spent on putters, right? So I don't know, I, but I, as far as bringing him in, I don't see a problem at all. Well, and I would think I don't, I don't know if there's going to be at this late in the juncture if there's going to be an open roster spot that works out, but. I mean, it does happen. There are injuries, uh, even to kickers and putters at some point. I, I believe, Bo, we're going to see him out of rise at some point this year for somebody. Oh, I agree 100%. He's, he's a talented guy. And, again, I don't think there's an off-the-field issue here. Right, right. A um, couple big uh, rule changes this week uh, that were approved. The uh, kickoff, fair catch being allowed between the zero and 25 yard lines. We've already seen this rule in college, but now making its way to the NFL coaches and players were adamantly opposed to this owners felt otherwise. Uh, Bo, what's the the point of kickoffs now? Why why don't we just place the ball 25 yard line? I mean, I think Andy Reid said it best. We're we're getting closer and closer to flag football here. Well, I personally think Andy Reid's wrong, but, um, I don't see a problem with this. Now, here's the I would I would tweak the rule. Twenty five is too much. Um, I know that's the college rule. Players get hurt, and it's not the returners that are the problem. I'm frankly surprised the players are against this. Uh, it is not the returners who get hurt. It's the guys blocking that get hurt, they get piled up, they get into issues. I think that what you ought to do is zone that thing. The first twenty yards of the field, if you're inside the ten. Okay, put a ball in the 20. Or if you're between the 10 and the 20 on the fair catch, put the ball in the 15. Yeah. Do something like that. Don't incentivize them and give them a quarter of the field. That's too much of the field to give away, in my view. Um, you know, we, we looked, if you watch, when I watch special teams, every kickoff, and especially the college level, now I look at it and go, okay, now you can just fair catch it and be at the 25. If I was the coach, I'd be telling my guys, hey, unless you get past the 25, you better not run the damn ball back. You know, if you're going to get it past, if you get it to the 30, 
I'll I'll pat you on the back. You can tackle it back into twenty. We got a problem, right? Um, but I would I would move it back. I don't dislike the idea because I think it is a, a safety thing. And again, it's not the kick returner. It's the guys who are dropping back and whose back is to the play for part of the play in order to drop back to make a block. You know, it's the guy who gets blocked into somebody else causing an injury. That's just crash football. Um, as far as Andy Reid saying, you know, we'll turn it into flag football, that's just being cute. And then to me, that's that's a little too much of the old school, you know, well, in my day, we didn't do shit like this. Look, this is a different day. These athletes are more specialized. We can do this little thing that can preserve injuries. Do it. It's a safety like issue. I, the, uh, I have a problem to be in twenty-five yard line, but yeah, I, I, see I, rule I think a fair compromise, Bo, would go to the do what the XFL kickoff is. It's fantastic. Is that the ball's live? Uh so that is where you line up the return team and the kicking team at the it's like the 30 and the 35 they're five yards apart so you don't have the running starts and they kick it you know kick it deep and how's an onside kick what how's an onside kick work then um they uh, they don't have an onside kick in the xfl they do your fourth and 15 uh pass gotta have onside kicks they killed the onside kick though based on the way they do things now yeah Yes, I, I'm more apt to be upset about how you can't onside kick as much as we used to. Because um, a guy who is an adamant onside kicker is a coach. Yeah, I once coached a full season where I only kicked the ball once deep. You can't even line all those guys up. Like You can't even convert onside kicks anymore. Yeah. I was able to have a team that converted 70% one time. Yeah, in the old format, right? Yeah. We yeah. couldn't line Well, we had to have... No more than half the players in the field could be on one side of the kicker. You couldn't split them up. You couldn't couldn't overload one side. Okay. Yeah. So I mean that that, that I don't believe in. You can't overload one side. That's an injury issue too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm now I don't believe in onside kicking all the time at the pro level. It was it was a high school level and it was a level where my guys couldn't tackle very well. And I went, well, wait a minute, everybody's best player is the part is the kick returner. Why don't I just kick it away from him and let's see if we can recover the damn thing? Yeah. And it worked. It worked a lot. We got good at it. Yeah. So. Um, Thursday night football, flexing. I know people are alarmed by it, but the more I read into it, Bo, um, it's going to be very rare this actually happens. It only can happen four weeks a year. Um, you have to give a 28-day notice ahead of time. And obviously, you know, these networks like Fox, NBC, CBS, ESPN, they have games that they have protected anyway. Yeah. Uh, it it sucks. Don't get me wrong. I, I hate it for the fans out there. But just looking at the circumstances, I mean, it's uh, like even this year, for example, they, of that slate, one of them is a Cowboys game. That's not getting flexed. One is a Steelers game. That's not getting flexed. And then another is like it involves uh, like – around Christmas time, which makes the schedule hard to adjust here. I, I think it's going to be very rare. It's going to have to be one of those situations where we got two just awful, awful teams, 
and they have no choice. Like it's, I think it's gonna be very rare you see Thursday night games flexed. Yeah, I think it's gonna be the rarest of flexes. Obviously, it's it's gonna have to be two grossly underperforming teams, and they go, oh Jesus, we're gonna have to do something about this. And that's what it has to be. I mean, that's. I, I think in this case, I I'm not against the idea. Look, there's one very teeny tiny segment of people who are not going to like it. And that's someone who's a ticket holder who who travels to the game. And it's one of those things where I think about that and I go, well, that's just the whataboutism. And you know me, I don't do whataboutism. So it's what, one-tenth of one percent of the 80,000 people in the goddamn stands? are traveling, you know, multi-states to get to that game and then affecting it by, you know, we're not saying they're going to change it on fucking Monday. They're going to move Sunday's game to Thursday. You're going to know four weeks in advance. So if you got to change a hotel or change a flight, you got plenty of time. Right. So to me, I will not accept the argument. I think it's just this, um, I, it's it's taking a mountain, making a mountain out of a molehill to say that someone has gone on, well, I bought these tickets, or what about this person that bought tickets, and that's what they're going to do with their family. They're going to go three days earlier. If Disney World changed something, you'd go three days earlier to it. Or, in some case, remember, it also it does affect two games, because it swaps the other. It might be two yeah. days later. Okay, all of a sudden, I'm going oh. the weekend now. Yes, I mean, I, I I just won't hear the argument. I don't, I don't think it's a compelling enough argument. For someone to say, well, what about this very slim portion of the audience? Look, foot, the NFL is no longer about the audience at, at the game. It's not. It's not about the audience the game at all anymore. Watching a game on television is much better than watching an NFL game in person. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I'll bring up Andy. You know better what's going on watching it at home than you do on than you do at the game. I'll bring up the atmosphere is different. I'll hear that, right? But I'll I'll bring up Andy Reid again. He said, "I remember when uh, a couple years ago when they introduced the Saturday Week 18 doubleheader of the where it's to be announced for those Saturday games. We don't find out till like a week or two beforehand." And I remember Andy saying at the time that he didn't like the idea because uh, he plans out every single day of the season uh, beforehand, before the season begins. And I'm like, same thing with the coaches. You you mentioned, so not only does it affect that 1% fan you talked about, but the teams here having to adjust, like, same thing. You're getting 28 days to adjust yeah. your coaching plan, your schedule. That should be plenty of time for the coaches and players, too. I agree. And you, you notice who we're talking about on both these things, about bitching about something new? It's Andy Reid, who wants to say, well, I don't like this, I don't like this. Get over yourself. <laughs> Fuck over yourself, fat man. <laughs> Honestly, no, I mean, look, we, we're not going to make it. You're not going to make everybody happy. We also can't make an out an omelet without breaking some damn eggs. And if anyone should understand that, it should be Andy Reid. <laughs> I bet he's eating a lot of fucking eggs in his life. But what I'm saying, I, get over yourself. It just, if it's something new, it's something new. Coach it. Take the opportunity and do something with it. 
Yeah. I, I got a real problem with these people, these coaches who are, and maybe it's because I, I don't consider myself that forward thinking, but I have a real problem with someone that says, well, you're changing the game because of this or that. And the flex thing to me, this is zero big deal at all. It's like you said, this is going to be so rare. It might happen once a season. Right. And who's really being hard? It, look, if a team's being, if, if four teams are being hard, two games are switching. We know that if it's a switch, someone's moving out of Thursday night, those are likely two just dog shit bad games. I mean, those are probably two really At bad At the end teams. of the season, might we add. Yes. So your two teams that are sitting there at three and thirteen, I don't care what you think at this point. If you wanted my you wanted my empathy, you would have won more games. Right. You know, it's gonna be to put a name in there. It's not gonna be about putting a um, you know, a it, it's not gonna give anybody a competitive advantage, it's not gonna give anybody a competitive disadvantage for a playoff spot. The game is the game, you still gotta play it. Yeah. Just quit trying to find excuses. And that's what this is. Yeah, I agree. Um, one more NFL note, then we'll move on. Uh, Tom Brady buying an ownership stake in the Raiders, minority stake. Uh, front office sports is reporting that it won't have any impact on his uh, future job with Fox Sports. Um, with that said, already getting in the ownership game that should kill any rumors of him making a return to the NFL. Uh, he, he is retired for sure now. But, I mean, we talked about Peyton Manning for a long time being like in a front office or being an owner of some sorts. Tom Brady yeah. already taking this step. That's the wheels turning, right? Eventually, yeah. someday Tom Brady's going to be a majority owner for somebody. Well, being a majority owner takes a lot of wealth. I mean, it's... I remember seeing the report that it's you okay, the the owner the amount of ownership you get can only represent a certain percentage of your overall net worth. So the issue with being a majority owner for a player, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, whomever, is let's say you got a team worth three billion dollars. I just pull that number out of the air. We have a couple of teams just sold. For, we got one that just sold for six. I'm taking half that number. Be a majority owner, you need half that. So now you got to have a, a one point five billion of equity, and that can only be forty percent of your net worth. You got to have a net worth three point three three point four million billion dollars. There's no athlete that has that. Not even Jordan. I mean, yeah, none of them. So I, I, I don't know that we'll let see me, let me uh, a majority I, I ownership. I think there could be a scenario where an ownership group makes Brady their face of their ownership group, their representative and the executive. And yeah. The executive owner. Yes. yes. I can totally see that. And saying that you're going to be the owner, you know, um, owner in charge. Yes. yes. I totally see that. I think Peyton Manning doing that at some point too. I think that's Peyton Manning's end game with all the production company stuff. Is yeah. to try to make as much money as he possibly can so he can buy into a team. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the end game for both those guys is to become owners. And, you know, it's, you know, it's fantastic if you can get into it because that's just printing money. Right. Yeah. I think so. I think you're right about that. Uh, let's talk uh, some 
college uh, football stuff, uh, college sports, the realignment. Pac-12. Well, I got one more thing. I, can I jump back on Tom Brady yep. for a second, though? Go ahead. I will say I'd like to know the one thing I haven't seen reported on this. I'd love to see that. Well, I don't know what percentage of ownership he has or how much he's putting in. I haven't either. But the Davis, the, the family, desperately needs cash. So I wonder what the Davis family is going to give Tom Brady as far as, yeah, he's grabbing an ownership, an equity stake. You know, say it's a 10% ownership. Ownership. What are they going to give him in addition to that? I I, I think it's going to be interesting because um, what's Al Davis' son's name? Mark Davis. Mark Davis. I can't remember think of his name. So Mark Davis, again, he's not his father. His father was a really good owner. I mean, he cared about the he in, in terms of he cared about the fan base and he cared about winning. Mark Davis has not been as as big on that. He's been about the money, the money, the money, but he's still not that rich. I mean, look, he's got a football team. Don't get me wrong, but bringing Tom Brady and also gives him a little bit of cachet. So I wonder what the equity stake Brady gets. And then the nerd in me wants to know, well, how does that end up in evolving the value of the team? Right. By having the Brady name on it. Right. Yeah. What other sponsorships come in? You know, is the Jordan brand going to come in? Is the TB12 brand going to come in? These things where Tom Brady has these relationships, are they being brought in as potential partners and sponsors? Yeah. I I wonder. I don't think. I would, again, we haven't seen the numbers, but I would I would think it's not that much, considering yeah. that we've been told it has no effect on his Fox job. And if it was a significant yeah. amount, it would have an effect on that Fox yeah. job. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to see how much of this. That's that's where my thinking is. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, back to the uh, the college front. Let's uh, let's go there. Um, report out this week from Barry Trammell, the Oklahoma, that Colorado is ready to accept an invitation to the Big 12 Conference, that uh, they are on the verge of uh, joining uh, at this rate. Bo, uh, your thoughts? Colorado and the Big 12, uh, a homecoming. Uh, seems like a lot makes a lot of sense for both sides. Makes a lot of sense to me. I don't see why you wouldn't if you're Colorado. You want to be good in football again. Geographically, it works. You've got um, partners li- – Semi-locally, as far as um, easy, easy rivalries, you know, you have all most of your old, um, you know, Big Eight rivalries. Many of them still in still in the in the league. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me to bring in Colorado, and I think it makes sense for Colorado. I don't know if Colorado was ever really a good fit in the Pac-12, and I think they're the first domino to fall. I, I think that some of their pac 12 Friends, join them. I don't think Colorado joins on an island. I tend to agree with you on that too. Whether that means Utah's coming with them or you know the two Arizona schools, I tend to think it's going to be Utah and the two Arizona schools, and it's a four pack. But um, yeah, I mean, it may kind of make a lot of sense. I think Utah makes a ton of sense too. So I think that if I was those two schools, I'd be wanting to get in that league as well. Um, the, the big, I do think it's the first domino. Yes. The big thing with Colorado, with, with why they wanted to go out west, they felt like they more aligned with that culture, the West Coast culture and all that. Yeah. And, you know, let's 
I think with Colorado with this new Big 12, you kind of get what you wanted out of the Pac-12 where you're going to have, potentially speaking, those four corner schools and BYU, you know, right there within the, you know, mountain region, you know, in the in the mountain time zone, schools that are similar to your brand in that sense. And then old rivals, uh, you know, in uh, in the Big 12, you know, your Kansas, Kansas States, yeah. Oklahoma States, Iowa States of the world too. I think it's a good balance of both for Colorado and <laughs> and not to mention for the Big 12 state, getting, getting Deion too is a huge thing. Yeah, I think it is. I agree with you, I agree with you 100%. I think the biggest reason that they went over when they went to the Big 12, there was more cachet when they went to the Pac-12 right. than being in the Big 12 at the time. Yeah. And then and it looked right because then Missouri Missouri leaves, Nebraska leaves, Colorado leaves at the same time. They all kind of go their own A&M, direction. Yeah. AM leaves at the same time. So you had this exodus. Um, now we've seen the issue between the the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and sort of where are they at in this hierarchy now. The loss of the Pac-12 losing the two look to two Los Angeles schools killed. And so, I mean, those like Colorado's the first one to grab a raft. And I think it's the smart move. And I think I think everything you stated, they're gonna have natural rivals. BYU is close, especially if they can drag Utah with them. I think that's big too. It also gives you the beat the BYU Utah rivalry. But then you also have the two Kansas schools. You have Iowa State. Um, who else? I mean, Oklahoma State still. You know, you still have some of those old school rivals that'll that'll pick right back up. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I love it. Let's see uh, it come together and uh, Colorado officially joined the Big 12. Uh, with that said, the Pac-12, you know, their, their ongoing TV negotiations continue to be a mess. Um, we've heard ESPN is no longer interested. Um, you have the CW, Apple TV as, you know, kind of the front runners at this point uh, for a deal to get done, but nowhere close to anything happening at this point. Um, you know, is there anything the Pac-12 has done right since UCLA and USC left? I, I can't think of one thing from their schools being upset as the way that they have, not being proactive and looking at expansion candidates, the way they've handled these TV negotiations. George Kliakoff, I was told when he was getting hired how much of a genius he was and, you know, oh, he's got this MGM background. He's going to be forward-thinking on NIL and all this. And I can't think of one good thing he's done since those L.A. schools left town. I, I tend to agree. It was almost like, you know, we talked about it on this podcast when it happened. Of, you know, this was a great hire for the big, for the Pac-12 because it gave them a forward business look. And in the end, it's been a disaster. I mean, he literally, I can't, I also cannot think of one smart, one forward-looking uh, decision that the Pac-12 has made. Whether the conference that, collapses or not, he's going to be out of a job in no time. Yeah, he'll, he'll never get a second contract. Okay, whatever his current deal is on, he's not getting renewed. Yeah, it's bad. And then the Big yeah. Ten, in their uh, their situation, Bo, I mean, nobody's going anywhere. They're, they're very happy. There's a yeah. $7 billion deal. But Kevin Warren kind of left some unfinished business with that TV deal. It wasn't officially done with NBC, Fox, and, and CBS, that TV contract. Uh, even though it was announced, there were still some details to be managed. But 
Uh, apparently Kevin Warren gave away a big 10 title game to NBC that he didn't have the rights to. And so now all those schools are going to have to pay back money to Fox. And so they're going to lose <laughs> money from NBC getting this title game. Um, starting out of that front, uh, I know people making a big deal about that and everything, but they're, they're, they're printing money in that league. I, I, I think that's, does it suck for them? Sure. It does that you weren't getting what you thought, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, they're going to be just fine. I don't think that's that's an issue. I do think the uh, the night games in November deal of schools being ridiculous, not wanting to play night games in November, like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, when they have this contract with NBC, I think that's a much bigger issue than you know one conference championship game on NBC. Yeah, I got I got an idea for those teams. One to shut up, or two. Go get a go to a stadium and play an indoor game. Why can't Michigan go play at Ford Field? Well, that's what Michigan State's going to play Penn State at Ford yeah. Field. They announced. Why not play? Why not play at Ford Field? Why not? Um, I'm, there's no dome in Pennsylvania with the two NFL teams, but you know, there Ohio State. You could play somewhere. You could find a place to play. Um, you know, have a, have a game go on the road. You know, if you look. You know, we looked at some of the teams in the SEC played games. It was non-con games, but we saw Alabama do this where they wanted to play games that were technically home games in Texas for recruiting purposes. Why not do something like that? Why can't um, two schools, if it's Ohio State and Penn State, say, hey, let's play, you know, let's take two years in a row and play the Ohio State-Penn State game in Houston or Dallas. You know, or New Orleans, the Superdome, and do it both. Do it both, both you know, home and away for each of them. Otherwise, look, I mean, you wanted to, you sold your soul for this big contract. You can't now go back and say, well, we don't want to play at night because it's going to be cold. It's going to be cold, cold November and December. It's going to be cold in the daytime. Just deal with it. I mean, look, you, you, you did this. You made these decisions. You're gonna to have to deal with the you're gonna to have to deal with the good and the bad. I, I I really hope, Bo, that when we have these home site college football playoff games and, and the Big Ten, well, I'm sure we'll be hosting some in their future. For for just for the sake of karma, please give some of those Big Ten teams some night home games in mm-hmm. December, you know, January. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna ask for wait them till then. then. They're gonna ask for them then. <laughs> Oh, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan are going to be like, oh, no, 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 no. we got to play the first time Michigan's got to play Florida or Michigan or Ohio State's got to play Alabama and be the host. They're going to want that game at night. <laughs> oh, no, make them Southern boys come up here and play at night. Make yeah. it even colder. Yeah, you're going to hear it. They, they're going to want it both ways. Right, yeah. you're right. I'm not having that. I, I, to me, suck it up. You just made a seven billion dollar deal. I think you can afford to have a, a home game at night as part of the deal. Well, you get through this year, and then next year, Bo, you bring in USC and UCLA. USC in particular, huh. I don't think that's. I think that solves half your problem right there. The LA it does. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna those prime time games. Yeah, you're gonna go have that game at USC in the you're gonna have it at UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I think they're gonna do for a couple of those games every season. Why wouldn't you? 
Yeah, uh, I think you're right about that. Bo, uh, we're out of time. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, what's coming hey. up on the uh, podcast this week? Hey, we are going to talk um, a big part of it's Jim Brown. We're going to do a big part on Jim Brown, and then we're going to hit these uh, NBA conference finals. You know, the Nuggets surprised everybody, I think. I mean, we, we called they were going to win this series, but it's the dominant sweep of the Lakers. And then the Heat have been taking it to the Celtics. You know, we've got, still got a game five coming up. We'll see what happens there, but we'll talk about all that on the pod this week as well. That's kind of our two places we're going to go. So we call tease in the biz. Uh, check out the uh, Coach Bodo's podcast. Wherever you're listening to podcasts, O'Connor Advisory Group, OAGcast.com, O'Connor Advisory Group.com for more. Bo, have a, a great rest of your week, and uh, we'll see you uh, uh, on the other side. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, have a great Memorial Day weekend. Final segment before we go. It's our top fullery story of the week where we find out something ridiculous happening in the world. And Jose Soto rejoins me right now. Jose, where shall we head to this time? Let's head into the Netflix world. So apparently Netflix is not messing around, restricts account sharing to two extra people. It says here, Netflix this week announced it'll cost U.S. subscribers $7.99 per month per extra user to enable account sharing. But the company also quietly revealed it'll cap the paid account sharing option known as an extra member to two users per subscriber account. So that that looks to be only available to the standard and the premium plans, which run about $15.49 and $19.99. And it looks like it's, yeah, it looks like it's possibly taking place towards the end of June. Jones, what are your thoughts here? I hate it. This is awful. This this is my <laughs> hell. This is a nightmare. Netflix charging for for multiple users. I mean, and and I can tell you this right now. I feel pretty confident saying this, Jose. This is going to backfire um, because what you have is there are a lot of people, Jose, that split the cost of a Netflix account or they work out trades. Uh, you know, in, in case. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest here. Like, friend of the show, Derek Haglin, uh, Derek and I, uh, I got an ESPN Plus account. He's got a Netflix account. We share logins, and then we both get the best of both. And I'm sure there's people like us that do the exact same thing. And you have so many damn streaming services out there. I mean, like, I saw something like Paramount Plus and Showtime are going to be combining with each other this week. You got HBO Max, which is now Max, I guess. Um, you know, you got the Hulu, uh, Peacock. Uh, everybody needs the cock. Um, <laughs> oh, what, what else? Am, am I missing the others? I mean, there's, uh, there's so many, so many streams. Yeah. Just so out of hand. It's so ridiculous. Not everybody uh, is going to want to pay this. And, like, I, I, I think it's just just ridiculous this is going to be backfire this is going to be a mistake and netflix is going to regret it and i get where they're coming from to an extent of that they want every user accounted for want everybody to be paid money but i don't think that they have a real idea of how many people are actually using these accounts and that that's that that's going to be a problem here 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a problem. I'm kind of low-key hoping that there's such a backlash early on, even before they kind of start rolling this out, that maybe they they change some of the lingo, some of the issues there. I mean, I personally share, I, I pay for a premium account in which it's split between me and, you know, my siblings. And obviously, we each live in a different house. So... It's going to be interesting on how that plays out. And I'm sure there's others that are in a similar situation where the premium already states, I believe you can use it up to six devices. Yeah. So I'm already paying 20 bucks for the quote unquote premium six devices. And then now they want me to pay an extra eight bucks for two more locations to be using it. It just doesn't make any sense. Not, not at all. Doesn't make any sense. And it, here's the other thing that that makes this so shitty, Jose. Is I feel like Netflix is a worse product today than it was a few years ago, and they're wanting to charge more money. I mean, you got less content uh, from the outside sources beyond Netflix's studios than ever before because it's all on those other streaming services. The Netflix original content is so hit and miss. I mean, you got these awful Adam Sandler movies. Um, you know, you've had some original stuff that's been pretty good, but I feel like even that has kind of fallen off as of late too. Like, well, why, why am I going to pay more money when I'm not even getting as much as I used to get? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the good series have kind of concluded, or you know, you have Stranger Things that's on its last season you know upcoming and you know I, I agree with you where there is less content that i'm really kind of just waiting to see dying to see i think there's more content and to see for me that i might be interested in maybe like uh hbo or possibly even heck hulu i mean who's got a couple of good series there some the new air movies in there now i gotta go check that out um you know there's just other options i feel like i would rather pay for Right? I mean, like, so, Jose, here, my favorite shows on TV right now, um, it, it's these four, okay? Uh, Succession is my favorite show in all of television. It's the best show out there. I'm very sad this weekend is actually the final episode of the entire series, Blue. Um, it's perfect. Uh, it is amazing. Anyone out there, if you haven't seen Succession, you need to see Succession. It is uh, worth your time. Uh, that's on HBO. That's on, I guess, Max now. Um, you know, my, my other favorites, uh, Ted Lasso, The Morning Show, those are on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, and I just, what I did, I, I renewed those when Ted Lasso came back. Like, I didn't, I didn't hold on to it when I didn't need to use it. I just waited for that show to come back. And then my other favorite, uh, Little Dickie Show, Dave, that's on Hulu. And so, of all my favorite series... None of them are on Hulu. So if I get boxed out of all this, the Netflix says, Jones, no more. You're not going to get away with sharing Derek's login anymore. I'm fine. Screw it. I'm not paying for it. Don't need to. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, some of my favorite series right now are, you know, The Last of Us. That was I recently concluded, you know, earlier this year. Uh, the, the new Mandalorian season was good. Um, one of the things I am kind of watching, and I'm just watching this just because I love 
the um, How I Met Your Mother series, but How I Met Your Father, that's on Hulu. It's it, it's it's not as great as the How I Met Your Mother, but, you know, it's still got some good, you know, comedy moments and things like that that I, you know, currently watch in. For Netflix, I really enjoyed the, you know, Stranger Things, the Umbrella Academy yeah. was pretty good. Um, I watched the Narcos on there. That was really good. Breaking Bad was on there. Um, the full series was on there. I watched all of that. Through, that was really good. First time I got through The Office, I watched it on Netflix. Obviously, it's now on the cock, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what? Once Netflix lost The Office and Parks and Recreation, some of those other shows, then that, that's when I felt like things went really downhill. You know why they're doing it, though? They're probably doing it because they want to uh, give an offer to the Pac-12. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll throw your games on, on here so you don't have to be on the uh, the CW. You know, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's easier to access. Um, yeah, Netflix, Netflix has some, some big big problems uh, on there, and I'm very curious to see how this, uh, this ultimately shakes out. And you know what we've seen too, Jose. The uh, consumer has more power than they've ever had before. I mean, you know, not to try to get on any side of the political aisle or anything, but look at Bud Light as of late. Like, you know, Bud Light, Target, you know, some of these other companies here. When there's been backlash, uh, they they've dealt with some major blowback. And Netflix, like, I, I know this isn't a political issue but just the blowback nonetheless we've seen that that can take a, a major plummet and and you might not recover from it yeah and i think they've already kind of rolled this out through other countries so if anyone were to kind of throw a good backlash to it would be the u.s right we, i think right. maybe we should create a, a hashtag of some sort, you know. We do, we do cancel culture better than anybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Would be a good hashtag to to fight back. What do you think, Jones? Hashtag. Uh, not my Netflix. Not my Netflix. There you go. <laughs> passwords for everybody. Passwords for all these people, Jackie. <laughs> oh man, it'll be interesting. We'll see how how this plays out. I still remember the very first time, like, I got a Netflix login without paying for it. Like, I was, I was in high school, um, and uh, I was actually, ironically, I, I was, uh, I was in Dallas at uh, at summer camp. I was at SMU. This is for my senior year, and uh, this friend of mine, he want, we, we wanted, we were roommates uh, for the camp. And we wanted to watch some movie or some show of some sorts, and he couldn't pull up on his computer, so he had to pull up on mine. And, well, then he just left his account logged in, and I got home to Oklahoma. I'm like, guess what, guys? I got an Netflix <laughs> login on my computer now. So I started watching all these shows and everything, and my dad's like, are they going to get charged for that? I'm like, Dad, here's the thing. They're not. I'm good. I'm Gucci. And, and I remember it just blew my dad's mind. Like, are you sure about that? Like, Trust me. Okay. And, and that was only the beginning. That was the beginning. I, I think they need to probably try to find other ways of revenue lines to, to make, you know, right. I, I don't think, you know, I, I mean, obviously this would be a big win if they can get everyone on board, but you know, eight bucks, 
each person added for up to two more people when you're already paying 20. Right. You know, that's, that's almost $40 there. Um, as far as like the, you know, connected to the sports world here, Jose, I, I've been doing this since like, you know, high school or middle school, but I, I, I don't know about you. I still get kind of a thrill of some sorts if I can find an illegal stream of a game online and get that clear picture, not get any viruses, not get any porn ads or anything like that. I'm like, that, that to me, that, that, that feels like such a big victory to, to get that and not have to pay for it. Uh, I, I did, especially like, uh, for me, it's always been kind of like the boxing matches. If I can yes. try to find a good link for a boxing match, um, you know, NFL, I tend to watch the red zone and, and that's, you can't beat that, but a good boxing match. You got to click. You got to find the, the those hidden X's that yes. click out without hitting it to, to pop a pop up for you. <laughs> oh man, yeah, the uh, the stream east, uh, you know, is, is what I've been using uh, for a long time, and and uh, watching games that way. I mean, it's it, it's such a game changer. I mean, like. You know, even when I'll even take a step further, we we talk about the the login stuff, like you know, you, you go to like watch ESPN or Fox Sports Go or some of that stuff, and you have to log in with your cable provider, and sometimes like they're difficult about oh we got to send a confirmation code to your email or your phone. I'm like I don't want to do any of that. I'd rather just go to Stream East and pull up the game right there. <laughs> and sometimes it's easier to to I'll, I'll stream on those illegal sites sometimes rather than uh, even going for a site I, I pay for. <laughs> you remember also those days? I don't know if this is maybe before your time, but did you ever check out like the LimeWire stuff? Oh, yeah, in- LimeWire. Oh, jeez, <laughs> about LimeWire. <laughs> oh, that, those were the fun days, man. <laughs> you were you a real really one on LimeWire. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Man, those were the days. It just—it's funny as you, you think that you're getting like a like a, a movie you're thinking you're gonna get, and then it's like the pirated version or something, or like an off-brand version of. I think for me, it happened once. I ended up trying to see like the Fantastic Four, and it turned out to be like the older, older Fantastic Four version instead. When uh, my grandmother, <laughs> she she and my grandfather, they uh, they went and lived in Belize for a couple of years. And when they came back to Oklahoma to visit us, they would bring us these DVDs and movies that hadn't been released. And like, awesome, this is great. And, you know, we'd put it in and they'd have these, you know, Chinese or Japanese subtitles. And they're like, what is this? What the hell is this? (laughs) And and my grandmother, uh, bless her heart, uh, as she would say, uh, she'd call it, oh, that's the director's cut version. (laughs) (laughs) and she was dead serious like oh Oh, man that's hilarious (laughs) director yeah yeah director scott yeah watching uh watching movies that way uh you know like I remember in middle school too, the, the first Android phone I got, somehow I was able to get free music uh, on that thing. And I didn't want an iPhone right away. I'm like, I'm getting this free music here, you know? Like, Was that that Napster? Was that what it was? It, it was one of those, like, yeah, like I, I can't remember, but somehow I was getting all every, 
all these songs and 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 I remember like stumbling upon these 80s rock songs like this is awesome you know like <laughs> oh man those were the days the good old days Jose uh what a pleasure it was to have you uh, here with us man um and uh, we had a great time last weekend there in uh in T-Town uh always uh always good time when uh, we can get to chat and you uh hang out with us thanks for coming by man no man, pleasure's all mine, man. Always As happy always, to you know be on the show. Always happy to be on the show, man. Whenever yes. you guys need me or anything. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, big thanks to uh, Caden McFarland, Coach Bo, also for joining us as well. Subscribe to show new episodes out each and every week, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, check out the Studio Soapbox Network uh, as well as this show. Let's go racing with David Starr. Coach Bo knows uh, his podcast as well. Uh, on uh, all podcast platforms and uh, you can follow us on social media facebook.com slash tyler jones live facebook.com slash studio soapbox twitter at tyler jones live at studio underscore soapbox instagram jones underscore report tyler jones live you can find us there he's jose soto i am tyler jones for brian o'connor kate mcfarland and our entire crew saying so long it's been another just jones we'll see you next week